Welcome to NAB Day 2. Leo Laporte here on the uh, Twit stage at the National Association of Broadcasters show. I'm supposed to call it NAB Show. And with me at the NAB Show, again, once again, Kirk Harnack, the host of This Week in Radio Tech. He's uh, Vice President of International Worldwide Marketing and Sales for Telos. Did I get that right? <laughs> Something like that. I added yeah. words. I, but I, I think Wuhan and Pumbaa go He's the Grand Pumbaa. <laughs> it's Telos Corporation. Great to have you. Everywhere I go, as I meet people going walking around, everybody knows Kirk Harnack. Oh you're, you're a legend. Yeah. Post office does, too. <laughs> There's a sign. I saw a sign. It was incredible. Wanted, dead or alive. So, uh, day two, you feeling good? I am, actually. Yeah? We had a great day one. Good. I left here to a crowd at the at the Telos booth. That's fantastic. Yeah. They're all looking at the Axia? What are they? Yeah. yeah. Well, we... <clears throat> you're, a, you're Mr. Axia. You know, we'll talk about it tomorrow on, on, on the tour program, but we've got a guy named Leif Clayson, who's well-known in audio processing circles. Um, very terrifically interesting guy. He's like half Swiss, half Jamaican, and he lives in Thailand. Wow. Yeah. And But he's a he's like this processing god. Works, works for us now. We need that. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing is, uh, and I know as a radio broadcaster, every radio broadcaster, they're going to flock to this guy because yeah. it's, it's a black art to tweak <laughs> that is. knob there and that. And I've spent a lot of time messing around. Now, fortunately, we have that great Omnia 1 in there, and that just, I don't have to worry. Yeah. You set it up in, beautifully. In, in fact, well, Corny, Corny tweet, really tweaked it. And I rode in the cab with him yesterday. Well, thank him. And, and yeah, I did. And uh, and he, he said, how are they liking that thing? I said, well, they haven't complained. Well, so. let me put it this way. <laughs> My normal voice sounds like this. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to the incredible Heil PR40 and the Omnia One processor. I sound like this. <laughs> in a world where Kirkonak yeah. rules. <laughs> so anyways. So it's, it's, it's been good. A lot of a lot of booth traffic. And, and we're seeing people, of course, from all over over the world and more and more I, I this is very that, much an international show the travel had been curtailed and yet we're seeing no, yeah. a lot of people yeah everywhere coming from all over yeah, yeah it's really really a lot of fun um also joining us, of course, Scott Wilkinson, uh, our host for Home Theater Geeks. We had a great time yesterday. We had a great time Panasonic, yesterday. Sony, JVC. We talked yep. to all the guys. And, of course, uh, the, your question, which was the question of the day, is how does this professional gear mm -hmm. uh, impact consumers down the road? How does it trickle down? That's exactly right. And we got some very interesting responses no to kidding. that. Yeah. 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 And some, it's a Sony guy. I love Bob. Yeah, What oh, a Bob. character he is. He said, no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't trickle down. But uh, well, and but when in fact, it does. Yeah, of course, it. But when you're looking at a twenty-two thousand dollar OLED, seventeen-inch OLED display, yep, it might be a while before we see a forty-inch. True in enough. The house. True enough. Now today, I'm going back over to Panasonic, where they have a new reference plasma monitor, professional monitor, which I do expect to trickle down yeah. into now uh, SK. The uh, CTO of Panasonic yesterday was a little cagey on, on that trickle-down point yeah. as well. Yeah. But we know that it happens. Of course it does. So they don't want, I think the, the message, you remember, they're at the professionals show. They don't want to tell the professionals, oh, yeah, you'll be able to buy this in five years for one-tenth the cost. Right. That's not, <laughs> That's in not their what they want interest. To hear. Right. But we will. We will. I think it's obvious. That's exactly right. And so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing this new professional broadcast monitor and plasma, which I hear is really remarkable. It's kind of in a secret room upstairs. You know, there, unlike CES, which really was this January, a 3D show, mm -hmm. there are 3D cameras here. There are 3D displays, but it, do, it doesn't dominate this show the way that it dominated CES. I'm not sure I would really? agree with that. I, I mean, there's the 3D pavilion, of course. You, you actually stopped there on our way back yesterday. I, I was blinded by the light. <laughs> <laughs> there's two of everything. 
but uh, a lot of the sessions are on 3D. Yeah. I, I attended basically yesterday for me was all 3D. Yeah. So uh, James Cameron, of course, did his. Uh, well, but he keynote. hedged too because the, he announced a, a, a partnership with Vince Pace. They're going to make a right. company that will make cameras and systems that will allow filmmakers to shoot in 3D. And. and I think that the and is kind of something to be underscored. Yes, you are correct. Uh, 4K, 60 frames a second. In other words, more vivid, realistic 2D. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing I've been lobbying for. And we, we do see quite a Now, you admit, you're impressed by the number of 4K displays we're seeing. I am. A I lot am. of them. A lot of them. And, and this is going to be a coming trend, no question yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, and every company, including Sony, doing 4K cameras, yep. responding to... Uh, red and, and similar cameras yep. and saying we can do that. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. Yeah. And we saw a 4K projector in the content theater yesterday. I did. Uh, uh, we saw uh, some clips from Carmen in 3D. They right. shot they shot an opera in 3D oh. with cameras on the stage. It was wow. incredible. Oh, wow. I mean, it looked really good. When the fat lady sang, she was in your <laughs> <laughs> They said they wanted to get cameras close to the actors because they wanted that roundness see, of 3D. <laughs> yeah, of something. No, but see, I might be interested in that, actually. I think It was beautiful. And, and I have to say that now that, oh, look, look, here we are, a streaming broadcaster. Yes, admittedly, the official streaming partner of, uh, of the National Association Broadcaster Show, but still a streaming, internet, down market stuff. And we're doing, I mean, if you look at our displays here, a lot of people came up to me and said, do you look this good in the studio? And I said, yeah, if only you could see this. But no, we're actually in a high def for the first time mm -hmm. uh, because we're not only using these high def cameras from JVC, very affordable, consumer grade cameras, but the TriCaster HD 850 from New Tech that we're using to switch this. This is our first time we've really done everything from soup to nuts and high def. And high def so now yeah. if you've got people like me, <laughs> low, low, low life's like me in you know super clear high def, <clears throat> It's clear that the, the pros must have moved quite, must a, have moved quite a bit farther on. And they moved to 4K. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty clear you're yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And even though I've always maintained that for the consumer anyway, 4K doesn't make that much difference unless you have got a really big screen or you're sitting really, really close. Yeah. Um, a couple of the people we talked to yesterday begged to differ. Oh, yeah. the Sony, it, Bob brought us over to, a, what was it, 45-inch, 50-inch? No, was it Bob no, or it, was it, it was a, JVC? Uh, Dave at JVC, JVC brought us over to a 45 or 50-inch uh, uh, 4K. 4K and great. It looked fantastic. And then right next to it, a broadcast reference monitor, 4K reference monitor that must have been 19 or 20 yeah, inches. Yeah, yeah. You, it looked like you were looking through a window. It's so true. It's it does true. make a difference. It does. I, I have to say I've been convinced that, Four, that I would say does. 4K is to HD as HD is to S. Well, maybe not such a big jump, but it, it um, is a, it's a it's noticeable a, jump. It's absolutely a noticeable jump. No question it's about clearer, it. It's clearer, crisper, yep, more yep. refined. And you can get closer to it and read street signs. Right. I'm not sure you'd yeah. want to, but I guess you could. <laughs> you, you could, could yeah, exactly. You know, I, this brings back five years ago, I, four, five, six years ago, I was here at the NAB show and wandering around a bit, and there was the, the first 4K camera and display yeah. going on. I want to say it was NEC, but it may have been somebody else. Could have been. And, I, I don't, and, know. And, and I don't was, think they make cameras. It, it was, well, this was really special. There was, like, extra air conditioning for the equipment. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, 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 and there was a line to see it. And it was the, the data rate was like 250 megabits per second. 
second right. to, to do this. They had a camera outside of the parking lot here at the convention center. You could read the license plates and the states. Yeah, yeah. And, and home and and now you're saying it's it's all over the place. It's everywhere. It is, yeah. it is all over the place. 150 inch display at the uh, Sony uh, or Panasonic, Panasonic booth. booth. Uh, yeah, 4K. 4K display. Okay. Now that's all been right. that's been around for a couple of years. Yeah, they show it every year. But I like it. I like so to go impressive. visit it. It's <laughs> so impressive. <laughs> it really is. I got a picture of it yesterday with with a girl standing next to it, and it's just like. Man, which is like, real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is real. Well, you're a weather guy, Kirk, and I, and I know you must have. I went over to the AccuWeather uh, booth, and they were doing something pretty cool. Did you yeah. see that? Tell no, it. I didn't. So they have, uh, they have um, uh, the idea, and I'm, I was interested in this because I think we could use it, is that you have one host in one city, uh, another host in another city. They're both uh, on what, well, they're not on green screen because they're standing in front of a projection of the other host and a simulated set between them. <laughs> okay. and, it, Very and when cool. you see the output of it, yeah. it looks like yeah. there's two people in the same place. They can manipulate the screen, so you could say, you know, like do the minority sure, report sure, stuff. Sure. But you could be with some, you could be anywhere. And I thought that was very I, interesting. I, the I, see more, I see more meteorologists out of a job. Yeah, they'll be, they'll be good more, more centralized <laughs> than ever before. Well, yeah. So it was AccuWeather yeah, and yeah. Ultimat were doing it, and so the, the yeah. woman is at the Ultimat booth. Because Ultimat makes those green screen things, okay. and then okay. the, uh, the 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 weatherman was at the AccuWeather booth. It was amazing. It was uncanny to see the final output, which looks like they they're talking to each other. They're they're interacting with each other. They can throw virtual <laughs> objects at each other. And and the, and they could do this over, I guess, over distance across a, a, a WAN. That's maybe someday across public yeah. internet. So someday we'll be doing the we'll be talking about the clouds in in the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I'm interested is because we have hosts all over. Yeah. Right now, what yeah. we do is we put them on a screen on a Skype screen yeah. next to me. But I'd love it if they could be standing there. Oh, absolutely. I, I think we're getting very close oh, to that wow, time. Yeah. Wow. Hey, let's introduce our guest. Uh, I know you were talking before the show began. Jason Power is here. He's senior director of marketing. Uh, broadcast at Dolby Corporation. It's great to see you. Great uh, to be here. You're based at that great Dolby uh, facility in San Francisco. I've I've been in there many times. What a great place that is. The theaters in there. And yeah, we have a just, beautiful, beautiful, great. beautiful facility. It's uh, it's pretty tough going to work in the morning, knowing okay. that you have a cinema right there that you can uh, go and hide away. <laughs> in. Yeah, I met Ray Dolby the other day, and what an amazing uh, fellow he is. So, what is Dolby doing for broadcast? So over the last decade, as, as HD has started up first here in the U.S. and then around the world, we've, we've been helping broadcasters get on air and make sure that the sound lives up to that glorious HD picture. People forget that sound is as important, if not more important, in some respects. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Picture. It, yeah. Of course, it's more important. Than well, I you mean, the, but I agree with you. I know I'm, a sound, I'm a sound focused, but I agree with you. Yeah. You could have a, a, a picture that's a poor quality or low frame rate, but if this... And you can live with it if the sound's okay, but if the sound's bad, forget it. I don't care how good the picture is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, 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 an experience without uh, without video is called radio. An experience without uh, without audio is called nothing. I nothing. Mean, you, you need the audio there for Very stuff good. to be intelligible. Wow. Yeah. Um, does Dolby make special uh, devices for television broadcasters to give them better sound? What is it that... Yeah, absolutely. So, so we we have the core audio technology that's used to deliver the audio for high definition television here in the U.S. and right. increasingly around the world. Uh, so, as HD has started up, broadcasters have been using that Dolby Digital technology extensively. Right. Right. And what we're showing people here is actually our latest generation technology, Dolby Digital Plus, which is enabling as video switches over to MPEG-4 rather than MPEG-2 and takes these entertainment services, you know, to whole you know whole new places and whole new devices. 
we're showing how Dolby Digital Plus enables a great audio experience right right the way across uh, how you're experiencing that content. You know, Scott, so do you need to have a Dolby decoder in your home theater to get this this quality sound? Yes, absolutely. So, but but it's more and more so people, everybody common. does now. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, certainly everybody has virtually all devices that decode audio in any way. First have, thing you do is Dolby. Is Dolby Digital. Yeah. And now we're talking about Dolby Digital Plus, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, provides a, a higher quality uh, sound experience. Do I need to buy a new decoder? Well, actually, most of the TVs and, uh, and increasingly set-top boxes that are being sold today have that technology inside. So, you know, we've hit over 200 million devices shipped with that technology inside. It's a standard feature of Blu-ray players. It's in TVs from all of the top 10 manufacturers. So increasingly, you're going to see that Dolby Digital Plus logo on, on the front of the devices that you're buying. Now, does will a, Dolby, a standard Dolby Digital decoder decode Dolby Digital Plus bitstream? Is it backward compatible in that way? Yeah, it's totally backward compatible with home cinemas oh, that good. people already have. Oh, so good. if you have an AVR, just hook it up with the SPDIF or mm -hmm. the, the, the HDMI connection, and you're going to find that that works, works just fine. You won't hear the added benefit of Dolby Digital Plus. You'll hear the Dolby Digital, what might be called core or basic system, right? Absolutely. But So at least you have that that core compatibility, but if you really want to go to some of the added benefits, so uh, so for example, 7.1 surround sounds, then a, a new AVR is going to give you that. So, uh, so plus gives you 7.1. What else? So yeah, so it gives you 7.1 and enables the the same 7.1 experience that you're now starting to get in the theater. Starting, I, I was so shocked to learn. As Scott told me this, how few theaters have. 7-1 sound. It's, it, but it, or it's, movies it's, have 7-1 sound. Exactly. There's only a few movies that have 7-1 right. sound. Uh, Toy Story 3 was the first. And we're talking native 7-1. As opposed to simulated or generated. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of DVDs, or Blu-rays, I should say, have uh, 7.1 soundtracks. They have those extra channels. But they have the extra channels derived from the 5.1. Uh, Which shouldn't be deprecated because I'm, with computer modeling, we could do a pretty good job. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. But there's there's a difference between derived 7.1 and native 7.1. Just as there's a difference between uh, converted 2D to 3D right. as there is native 3D. Right, right. And so, but what's been amazing over the last really kind of nine months since since Toy Story 3 is to see the me momentum that's, that's coming with those 7.1 titles. It really seems like content creators, as they, particularly as they make these new 3D titles, is they're looking for that added dimension in audio It kind of goes with it, doesn't it? Right, if you're going to have a three-dimensional picture, you want to have a fully dimensional sound, uh, sound stage around you. Absolutely. I mean, you want when, as that object flies out of the screen, you want the sound to whistle past your ear. Right. You know, as you're immersed in that 3D kind of environment, you want the sounds to revolve around you. Okay. And 7.1 gives you that. I'm, uh, this is completely off track. <laughs> I apologize for it. But I, let me ask you about, is Dolby Headphone still around? Because I love that. Absolutely. and we, then we did a show in Dolby Headphone. It was amazing. <laughs> did you really? Yeah. The Dolby guys came out. We had seven or eight hosts. And every host was positioned differently on the soundstage. So as somebody's talking, you can hear them there. You can hear them here. You can hear them behind you. It was amazing. So, and so with binaural, in a binaural uh, headphone Yeah. So, so Dolby Headphone will give you a, a, a simulated surround sound experience over just a pair of regular headphones. Yeah. Um, and it's actually one of the things that's enabling surround sound to travel now to all of these new new devices. I'm going to see you there with the mobile phone in your hand. Uh, that's a technology that's great for 
mobile phones. We, You're going to give me surround sound on my mobile? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We have a demonstration upstairs where you can, where, where you can awesome. see that very thing, where we can, uh, with the no, a new Nokia N8 phone, we have Dolby Digital Plus decoding inside. So first of all, as You're kidding. No, absolutely. I have an N8 and I couldn't figure out what to do with it. <laughs> so now I know. <laughs> you, know. You, should, you, should, uh, you should come up and we'll... I will. Uh, we'll f so how do I get encoded material? We were able to make an MP3 that was compatible so you could hear it in stereo, but if you had the right decoding equipment, you could hear this around. Yeah, so increasingly we think you'll be able to download or stream content that's Dolby Digital Plus encoded. Wow. And, uh, and so we have a great clip of the, the, the Tron movie upstairs that we're showing. And basically you can get... Well, first of all, you can get a great surround sound experience just from plugging in a pair of headphones. But where that, really, that experience really comes alive is when you plug that phone into your home theater. So that's what we're doing upstairs. We're actually taking the N8 phone, plugging, in a, plugging it in <laughs> with HDMI into our, into our home theater. I, I might have to get the, resurrect my N8. That becomes yeah. your, your source device, your right. home theater source right. device. Yeah. Wow. It's the smallest home theater in the world. <laughs> it, but it also is a, is a proof of a concept for a, for a headphone that it doesn't need a lot of processing power or uh, you know, right. you know. Yeah, it's very realistic to put, in a, do it a to put in a tablet device, a mobile device, those, all those kind of, of things. Of course, the computer in that cell phone is uh, thousands, millions of times more powerful than the one that went to the moon. Yeah, well, example. we know that. <laughs> but I still can't log onto the chat room. I don't know. Uh, well, th there is that. <laughs> I'm desperately trying to get into the chat room here so we can see our comments. Well, it's so nice to meet you, Jason. Thanks for coming by. I will go up to uh, the Dolby booth and. Uh, and I don't have my N8 with me, but at least I can get the demo of that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we'd love to cool. show you it. And Dolby Plus, look forward to it in your uh, home theater system near you. Thanks Great. a lot. Great Thank to, you. Great to see you. Um, let's take a break. When we come back, we have more from the uh, NAB show, the National Association of Broadcasters, coming up a little later on this afternoon, or I guess this morning if you're in the West Coast, uh, Mac Break Weekly at 11 o'clock, uh, 2 p.m. Pacific, or 11 o'clock Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, live.twit.tv. Uh, and I think uh, we're doing uh, this week in Radio Tech. What time are we going to do that? Uh, tomorrow, the same time. That's tomorrow at the yeah, same time. 9 a.m. Okay. Pacific. And um, I don't know what else is coming up. But there's a lot of well, many things ahead. Many things ahead. Today. We've got some more guests coming in. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we also, uh, tonight, don't forget, uh, we're going to be streaming uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, digital, uh, the uh, Broadcast Minds um, uh, uh, panel that I'm going to be on with uh, Adam Carolla talking about the future of uh, streaming television and streaming uh, uh, broadcast, which is very exciting. Which is what we're doing right now. Are we? <laughs> well, dang, I had no idea. We're very forward thinking here. <laughs> very, very, we're way ahead of the game. Indeed. Say again? Netflix. Netflix is about what I'm about to do. That's exact. Look at that. We are of talking about broadcast mind. minds there like you go. that. That's right. Yeah, I wanted to mention our friends at Netflix. Do you, you're a Netflix user. I am. You're a Netflix oh, user. Yeah. Who, uh, this is the problem I have with this advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> We're preaching to the choir. We're huh? preaching to the choir. And anybody who watches the Twit Network, I shouldn't tell Netflix this, but anybody who watches the Twit Network, by goodness, by golly, by gum, ought to be a Netflix subscriber. But you know what I realize? What we could do is we could tell you this is a great gift for the family members who are not yet quite. There you go. Yeah, I gave my mom Netflix. I started doing this about five years ago mm -hmm. on her birthday every year. She gets a year's subscription to Netflix. It's very easy to do on the Netflix site. And then now she, and she's very excited about streaming. She's just started to get into that. Mm. So uh, if you go to Netflix.com slash twit, if you haven't tried it, you can try it. But you could send family members there as well and see if they want it. Say, hey, I'm looking at Christmas gifts. I'm looking at uh, 4th of July gifts. <laughs> and I'm uh, just thinking maybe this Netflix. What do you think? Now, here's the beauty of this. Of course, it's, everybody knows about the, the business, the DVD by mail business, right? You could do one, two, three, four, five discs at a time. I have the five disc 
subscription. So I have five discs at home. When I send one back, they send me the next disc in my queue, in my list. And they do it in about one business day, which is pretty amazing. One of the ways they do that, I found out, is that they actually have scanners in many post offices. So when it arrives, when, the, when your mail carrier brings it to the post office, they scan it. Netflix knows. All right, it's on its way back. Ship them another movie. And that's how they get it out fast. That's incredible. It is amazing. Yeah. And Netflix has pretty much every movie ever put on DVD or Blu-ray. Uh, I watch a lot of Blu-ray movies that way, but I have to be honest with you, the Netflix streaming has kind of superseded a lot of the disc viewing I do because I can do it instantly. So here's the deal with Netflix streaming, and you can go right now to netflix.com slash twit and take a look. Uh, the watch now, the watch instantly uh, portion of it. You can pick from thousands, tens of thousands of movies and watch them instantly on your PC, of course, on your iPad, your iPhone. Um, I use a Roku box. Many Blu-ray players have it. I just saw it's in the Panasonic TVs. It's in the most LG TVs. TVs, almost all TVs. Blu-ray players, almost Blu-ray all of players. Them. So that means if you've got internet access and you've got one of these devices, you can watch movies like that at no additional charge. In fact, they even have a $7.99 a month subscription that gives you full access to the instant movies, and that is amazing. Um, I just, I, I have to say, I don't watch a whole lot of. Broadcasters all around here. I don't watch a lot of broadcast television anymore because I'm watching Netflix all the time. In fact, I saw. Did you see the stat? Something like 40% of all internet traffic during prime time is Netflix. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, it's amazing, unbelievable. So if you haven't tried it, I want you to go to Netflix.com/slash/twit. Netflix.com/slash/twit. And uh, I'm really excited. If you've met, the, the good thing is uh, it's great for catching up on TV shows. All of the lost episodes are on there. I've been saving them for my retirement. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll watch them. And you watch them commercial free, and, and you can eat them like candy, three or four episodes at a time. It's amazing. Uh, Glee is now up there. They just did a deal to put Mad Men, all eight seasons of Mad Men, on Netflix streaming. If you missed Mad Men, this is the way to watch it in high def on a big screen TV using Netflix. You, I want you to try it. You can get addicted to some shows by eating them like candy. Yeah. My wife is addicted to Drop Dead Diva. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh my gosh. Oh, she's mm -hmm. seen everything. Uh, That's over. a reality show? No, it's a it's a it's a it's a uh, uh, drama, a uh, comedy drama show. Oh, okay. Uh, about a woman who was beautiful, died, came back as a fat girl. Oh, I got to watch that. Wow. Cuz I came back That's as a fat <laughs> boy. So, I want I was beautiful, you know. <laughs> And then it's this. an interesting premise, actually. <laughs> it's a great premise. Yeah. Ha ha. <laughs> so <laughs> Netflix.com slash tweet. Give it a try today. We are big Netflix fans. Hey, let's say hi right now to Ben Runyon. He's from Xilinx. Is that how you pronounce it, Ben? Yep, Xilinx. Xilinx. Z I'm sorry. X-I-L-I-N-X.com. Tell me about Xilinx. So Xilinx is a... I can't hear you. Why can't I hear him? Is he, is he turned up all the way? I'm sorry, Ben. I don't... Can you hear me now? Oh, there we go. There can we go. you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yes. You know, he must have that great Omnia processing. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it everybody sounds good here? <laughs> yeah. So what, what is this? What is Xilinx? So Xilinx is uh, one of the chip manufacturers that's in a lot of the equipment here within the broadcast industry. Where essentially it, are they DSP chips? Or? It's actually a, a different form. It's a programmable device ah. uh, similar, to, similar to DSPs. But, but a programmable uh, logic array. Yeah, 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 programmable logic array. It's also more. in consumer devices as well, is it not? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, so, you c so a manufacturer can then customize it to do what they need it to do? Or how does that work? Yeah, exactly. So essentially, you can you get a lot of flexibility in what you want to do. Really, in the broadcast world, the big issue is the real-time nature of it. And that's right. usually where a DSP or a processor may not be the ideal solution. It's not as real-time nature. So in broadcast, when you're out in that field and you're broadcasting something to the home, 
every little bit of latency and real-time processing capability is important, and that's what our chips do really well. Ben, you, I'm going to be able to ask you a few questions here because um, our gear, Telos Omni, actually, we use a ton of Xilinx chips. Really? Yes, we do. The field yeah. programmable gate arrays, right? Yep, FPGAs. Right, that's it. And, and I'm a reasonably technical guy, but I still don't really understand what these things do. And so I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of people in our audience are about at my level. you got an idea what a DSP is, but this FPGA, this is, this is a concept that I haven't wrapped my brain around. So Telos, in, in a, hey, if you've got a, a Telos Zephyr, we do. Uh, Zephyr yep. Extreme, yep. if you've got almost anything we make, uh, Axia gear all has FPGAs in it. What are we doing with these? So, <laughs> in one sense, you can look at it as a somewhat of a DSP on steroids. I mean, it's it's got all the DSP capability in it, but it's also got Surtees capability. So that's how you get your all your SDI content, all your Ethernet, everything comes in through that. You've got um, lots of fabric capability in there. So besides the DSP sort of soft processing going on, you now can put hardened functional blocks in there to do your video processing that you need to do in the chain. So, so it's really a computer on the chip, I mean, and pr fully programmable so that they can, I'm sure you put your codecs in the Xilinx chip, I, for I instance. Don't, I don't know. I yeah, I mean, you yeah, can, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, some, of the, some of the stuff we're showing over at our, at our booth is really some of this AVC intra encoding going on, so you can essentially, doing that electronic news gathering out in the field, you can very low latency, very real time, get it compressed and up and over a satellite link back to... Back to the studio. I mean, you could put a processor and RAM in there. You could put a, a firmware program in there, but it's not going to run anywhere near as fast as something that's written right into the hardware, in effect. Yeah, exactly. Is, is, is um, what an FPGA does, is that changeable dynamically quickly? Yes, it is. Actually, there are capabilities when it actually, on a clock cycle, you can change it. Wow. I mean, so we have that capability. Okay. Where that's so the field well, programmable during, part. So of yeah, during, yeah. during some clock cycles, it could be... Part of it be doing one function, and then oh, we, but we now we, now we need this for a few milliseconds or nanoseconds. Do this, and then we go back to what we were doing before. Yeah, you could. That kind That's of actually one of the capabilities. So wow. I was just looking at it at one of the boards that our our R and D guys have. It's a development board for Axia uh, Live IP Audio, and on this little board, there's a there's a little um, I don't know if it's cold fire processor, some kind of little CPU, mm -hmm. and there's some RAM, and uh, then there's a Xilinx chip, and so the Xilinx is just tying these things together, and is it programmed by the software uh, so we actually we have a uh, we have a large tool suite that comes with it yeah. I and mean, similar to a DSP I mean you have to have a complete development environment to program one of these things they are they are still very complex devices mm -hmm. and with a ton of capability in them so yeah there's a whole uh, development suite towards it that you have to, to work through to get that capability on there yeah. I would I would expect that though that an FPGA field programmable gate array would be more expensive than a dedicated locked down chip that does one thing and, and thus evermore. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, that's you sort of got in that world. It's the ASICs or ASSP kind of chips. They have a fixed functionality, right? And they do what they do. But mm -hmm. then you're somewhat locked into that functionality. And if you want to upgrade it in the field, so definitely the flexibility and essentially longer time in life, so you can keep your equipment in the field longer with upgrades through an FPGA. This this is making good sense. There's a there's a, a company called Barracks that makes. Um, uh, makes codecs and they're very they're very inexpensive and they're very very cheap and they're very very fixed. You you, yeah. you really can't upgrade them. Yeah. And there's not really a competitor. I use a Barracks box. Yeah, you do. That's yeah, right. Barracks and, encoded, and, and yeah. it does that one job very well. That's all it does. Never do anything else. If you're ever. listening to us on audio, that's yeah. exactly that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you're hearing the IceCast stream comes from a Barracks box and that's it. And, and, so and that's it. I can't even say I can't even program the bit rate. Ah, <laughs> it's like right. that's well, it. Right. <laughs> uh, so so the, that but that's an ASIC technology. And right. if the, if the, if you're going to stamp out a hundred so that's the difference between ASIC and FPGA. Apparently so. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, okay. and it's just the cost. I mean, it's really a cost trade-off 
broadcast industry doesn't tend to be in the hundreds of thousands or millions of units, right, so it's right. tougher, tougher in ASIC or ASSP to justify the return on investment there, and, and FPGAs do a great job so of that. So it's kind of halfway between firmware and a, and a, and a processor, well, really. And actually, you get the double benefit, too. So you got all these standards going on in SMPTE and the video services forum and all these other wow. things. And normally when a standard finishes up, sort of in the consumer side of things, you know, you now have to wait six, nine months to a year for the ASIC and ASSPs to roll out for that to go into the market. Right. But now, you know, as soon as that standard's done, it's ready to go on the FPGA, which actually you saw on the consumer TVs. 3D TVs got to market at least a year sooner because of FPGAs because they took their existing ASICs. Oh, really? Tida put, a, you know, put us next to it in a co-processing role, and when you need to do that left and right, you know, breaking up on the TV, that was done inside our FPGAs, and they got the 3D TVs to market a whole year earlier than they would have. So on the consumer side of things, we helped speed up that market as well. Not only that, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it also allows uh, firmware updates yeah. to occur, uh, which we get all the time on Blu-ray players. <laughs> yeah. You know, Blu-ray players, you have to update all the time, almost as oh, so new, new titles come so out. So when I put in a new disc and it says, sorry, i got to get on the Internet before I can play this disc, mm -hmm. it's downloading an update and it's going to a Xilinx chip to changing its behavior? Uh, Blu-ray player is probably an ASIC or an ASSP. They, that's, 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 that's a mass, they, they oh, mass stamp production. Okay, but, yeah. but, but then, then it comes down, in, but the, the firmware update comes down and, and it comes down into memory then? Yeah, and they would do it, and then they would load it. They basically would load that program into the yeah. into the chip at that point. I see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah of course, because Blu-ray players are so inexpensive. Yeah, I'm, it, it I'm has thinking to be an ASIC. that my but studio probably has 15 Xilinx chips in it between the the Telus <laughs> Zephyrs I've got in there and the Axia system I've got in there. Uh, I bet you yeah, I'm just loaded up. I would I would <laughs> guess you go you go across all four halls here. You're probably going to find Xilinx Everywhere. across 80 percent of the equipment. Isn't it here. Funny, and it's something that could, yeah. it's a name that. Obviously, everybody in broadcast knows, but uh, no, one in, no one consumers know. Yeah, 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 exactly. Now, I have to say that I'm looking at the chat room, and they, uh, we must have a bunch of broadcast professionals in the chat room because they all know what's going on. They're, all, they're going along for the ride, so that's very cool. It's, I'm glad you could come and uh, explain it to us. Well, ben. apparently we got the right guy because it was in 85, FPGA Tech was invented by Xilinx. Oh. Yes, it was. <laughs> everybody else, there you go. Everybody else yeah, we, 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 we were the founders of it. We created the yeah. technology yeah, wow. 25 years ago. Yeah, That's incredible. No, it'll be a, it'll be an interesting year because this is this year you'll see Christmas this year you'll start seeing the 4K 2K TVs coming out. We're really? talking about we're going to actually see uh, 4K consumer TVs. You will see them. They won't be cheap, but they'll they'll be coming out. Oh, oh that's news to me. And you also see you'll see the 1080p 60 3D TVs coming out this year as well. Mm. This so is that that 60 frames that uh, James Cameron yeah, exactly. was talking about. It's yeah. much more vivid. And that 1080p at a very high frame rate's got to look incredible. Oh, it's going to look great. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, I mean, the, the amazing thing is, these are 4K 2K panels that have to go into these TVs so you can get the 1080p 60. 3D. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. So they're going to, once they'll be pricey as well. So this is really, you've almost 4X the bandwidth again, right. even the display side. Right. So even at the consumer side, right. the bandwidth has gone up. So are we going to start seeing Xilinx chips in, in uh, more consumer products as a result? I mean, the prices are obviously going to be higher. Especially, uh, especially on the higher end higher TVs. End, You'll see yeah. us, you know, usually that first, second generation of TVs will get heavily implemented with FPGAs, and then they'll, as the volume grows, they can justify they can make, going to an ASIC. But the whole point of ASICs are just getting to the point where it's just too expensive on it. Every six nine months, spinning it, they need they need about a year year and a half, a little more return right. on their investment before they right. move on to the next generation. That's interesting, yeah. yeah. And and what's great about your business is you're always going to be on the leading edge of yeah. these products, and as they get proven and uh, and solidified, 
then that moves down to less expensive product, yeah. and, and you move to the next big thing. That's our, that's our mission in life. We're always trying yeah. to stay on that leading edge of the curve. We have yeah. to, yeah, to yeah, yeah. hopefully, to help drive this industry. Ben, it's been great meeting you. Yeah. dot com. Yeah. People are interested in this uh, FPGA technology. Very, very interesting. Yeah. There's, there's no Z. Thank you so much. There's no, no Z in Xilinx. <laughs> Thanks for explaining that all to us, Ben. And, that, and, that, and, and, and the little scooplet that we're going to be seeing 4K, 2K uh, screens. You know, once they start cranking those panels out, the it gets cheaper and cheaper and Sure, of course, cheaper, yeah. as with all digital technology. Yeah, they're making them, right? Yeah. Uh, we want to thank, we really want to thank our friends. Uh, I should thank everybody who's making this broadcast possible today, including the folks at New Tech who are providing us with the TriCaster HD850 uh, for our broadcast today. You should see, I'm going to get a camera. We're going to get a camera at some point, Brent. I don't know how we could do it to show that new board that uh, we've got Alex Gumpel doing the switching up here and the sound, Burke McQuinn's on the sound. And, but this new switcher that we've got, it's really a USB control surface, but it, it, I mean, those people at Grass Valley are going, hmm, hmm. hmm. <laughs> it is pretty cool what we are able to do uh, thanks to uh, New Tech. New Tech's going to be hosting that panel. I'm going to be on later today at uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, the Broadcast Minds panel. We will stream that live so you can uh, watch that live. I'm sure they'll be switching that with a HD850. Also, I'd like to thank the folks at LiveU. I didn't know this. Our signal is going back to you today. Usually we do it, uh, you know, it's funny because it's not a big deal to set up. I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not a huge deal to set up what we're doing here with the cameras and the lights and everything. The huge deal is getting it out of here. <laughs> right? I mean, I, we could sit here strike with all this. Strike the set. Uh, but how do we get it? No, no, I don't mean striking the set. I mean, how do we get it to you to get oh, the home line? Oh, I what you mean. Namit Malhotra is here. He's founder and global CEO of Prime Focus. Uh, uh, Namit, thank you for joining us. It's thank great you to meet you. Me. So get right up to that microphone and tell us what Prime Focus does. You're in Hollywood, so I think it's got to be something to do with movies. Yeah, I think we actually are an end-to-end -end services company. Uh, servicing the film broadcast and the commercials uh, industries across uh, various continents in the world. We are uh, set up in, the, in North America, in London and all across India. That's one thing we're learning, uh, Kirk's telling us, is broadcasting is growing worldwide, globally, because uh, the, uh, these local TV stations now are no longer government run. There's a whole sudden ins you know, uh, explosion of, of, of privately owned stations all yes. over the world. That's, That's exciting, yeah. So tell me, what when you say services, what services do you provide? So we provide, uh, you know, going back uh, right in 95 when we started, we were a garage startup with, uh, with an offline edit system for the television business. And since then, we've grown to be an integrated service provider, which means that we do from capture, which is providing cameras on set, all the way through all post services from visual effects, color correction, audio post production, 2D to 3D conversion, digital content management. Wow. <laughs> we do just about everything from a services perspective, from a soup to nuts. Uh, That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. The re one of the reasons I wanted Namit on the show was uh, Prime Focus was chosen by Lucasfilm to convert Star Wars from 2D to 3D. Oh, you didn't mention that. That kind of plum <laughs> gig That's there. a plum Save gig. the best for last. Yeah, so <laughs> tell us about that. That's interesting. So uh, we've been... Uh, Obviously, we've been growing uh, very well on the. Vi we've been a visual effects company. We also worked on Avatar on the visual effects. Oh, okay. And uh, since then, we've built our own 3D technology and a 3D pipeline for converting content from 2D to 3D. And uh, over the last one year, since the explosion on 3D has happened, we've been uh, part of that revolution and, in fact, leading it from the front. We, uh, you know, like all other vendors in the world, uh, tested on, uh, you know, Star Wars, which is clearly 
the most prestigious project no out, out there, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know, clearly Lucasfilm ran through ILM, you know, very very extensive testing and made sure that they got exactly what they wanted and companies that were set up to service them. And I think we qualified on that and. Here we are on the first Star Wars, which looks fantastic. That's great. And 15 years ago, you were in a garage. Yes. That's really awesome. <laughs> that must be pretty exciting. Probably watching Star Wars movies while you were working and studying. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was actually, you know, I, I mentioned to Mr. Lucas, I said, you know, back in school, I actually bought a book on ILM just right. to see Jurassic right. Park and how, oh, you know, how beautifully films were made and how they even visualized that back in India, it was a very, very big deal. Isn't that and great? today to be working on Star Wars, I think, is a dream come true. That's so cool. So how do you convert a 2D movie, one shot in 1977, in fact, into a 3D? Or you're not well, going to do uh, episode, doing episode four? one you're first. You're going to start no. with one. Oh, good. Thank, thank goodness. Sorry. Right. <laughs> was one mostly shot digital? I think it was, wasn't it? Yes. I so think you so. have digital masters that you're working with. I think everything, all movies have digital masters today. Okay. You know, because... Uh, they're converted. They're, they're all set up from a digital color correction perspective anyway. Right, <coughs> right. And, uh, so digital masters are available for even much, much older films. And we're, uh, uh, so we just got the digital files and we set up the entire, uh, you know, pipeline based on how the technology operates, you know, where you set up the depth and you st sort of s s start to create the sense of 3D around every object. Now there, there are there are ways to convert 2D to 3D, and then there are ways. And we've sure. seen examples of really well done conversions sure. and really poorly done conversions. Sure. Can you uh, distinguish, you know, what, what makes a good conversion? How do you get a good conversion versus a bad one? I think some basic fundamentals uh, that play to, to 3D generally. I think it's the language of 3D more than just conversion because there are some kinds of shows that lend themselves very well, mm. you know, right from the way they are cut because if you have high-paced high cuts, quick cuts, that's not ideal for 3D because you don't even register it and it can be quite disturbing. On the other end, you know, on the creative end, there is obviously has to be a very, uh, you know, sensitive approach towards knowing the kind of language you want to sort of create for the consumer experience. And the amount of time, money, and, you know, creative artistry that needs to be there has to be sufficient, otherwise you're not going to get a good conversion. I so think it's not merely technology. So do you have somebody like George sitting there saying, okay, I want that moving back, I want that moving forward? Uh, I think uh, not him personally directly. Yeah, I think but, he's but, busy. But yeah. his associates, yeah. Yeah, obviously he's got ILM. So they sit there, and, and is it Z-depth that you're adding? I mean, do they say, here, put a little more Z-depth there, a little less there? I think, yes, there is a there is a pass, as we call depth creation, you know, yep. where depth has to be added into the scene. And then more than just adding depth, it's about creating the sense of 3D, which has to be volume around every object. So you start to feel like there is a certain you know, uh, depth to That's that particular individual. Because I always think of the, the Z depth as what 3D is, but you're saying adding volume. Exactly. Do you do that with lighting? How do you do that? No, so there are specific tools that have been created that uh, facilitate that. And, and that becomes a very key part of... So it's, it's about adding depth and the relevant distance between all objects. Yeah. And then it's about creating the right amount of volume so they look real and they look like... Otherwise, like it's like, like flat, flat yes. pieces of paper. On exactly. A, uh, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and that, is, that, is, that is in 3D then. That, and that's tricky to do, I'm sure, yes. to add that because that information isn't there. Sure. Uh, so, does that involve creating models of some of the objects? So, you know, different companies have different pipelines set up for that. I think... Uh, you know, some people use models, some people use other tools that are uh, 
available as part of the visual effects tool set that we typically have evolved from. So we have lots of uh, tools that have been written over the years because we have been doing lots of right. visual effects. And right. There's some of this that uh, is part and parcel of our overall pipeline anyways. Very interesting. So you're not going to tell us. <laughs> I'm not supposed to. <laughs> That's the secret sauce, obviously. Exactly yeah. right. Wow. But of course, to do it right takes more time and more money. That's true, and and it needs to be very carefully measured. So because you know, you're basically creating something that isn't there, and and you want to make it believable. So that clearly needs a certain more time and effort. You know, that, yeah. Yeah. without which you're not going to get the desired effect. Somebody in the chat room said. Make Jar Jar Binks' tongue scoot out of the <laughs> Actually, <laughs> another person in the, jar, in the chat room said, can you just make Jar Jar behind everything? everything. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, that's a personal opinion. Not yeah. everybody hates Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Uh, it must uh, be fun, though, to be working, uh, working on this uh, oh, absolutely. Pro project. Are you going to get to do some of it yourself, or you have to let your minions do the job? No, no I think I'm not qualified for that. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty specialized. Where You can't learn that. I mean, this is, brand, this yes. is a brand new science. It is an artistic... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Approach yeah. towards the yeah. process. Yeah, it's, it's art and science. I exactly. would say. I, I imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to you have to have some measure of judgment as to what's looking good and what's in front of what else and so how, on and so how forth. How long is this is this going to take? Good you have question. an estimate? Actually, on episode one, we're almost through. We're you know from our end. We've That's very gone. quick. <laughs> well, you've been working secretly on this yes, for years. Well, been. You've been doing three D <laughs> for for years. It predates the current uh, um, uh, excitement about three D. Right, I wouldn't say that long, but okay. I, th I think uh, Lucasfilm obviously has been running their research, and ILM has been doing their own research for a very long time. Right, and they've been adding their tools and the approach, the right approach towards 3D. Mm -hmm. I think has been, they've been sort of evaluating that over the years, and I think uh, when they sort of got to that point of, you know, that okay, now we're ready. You know, then we got we came on board, which is now almost eight nine months ago. Mm. To sort of well, that's a pretty quick process, yeah. or eight yeah. or nine months to. To, to get this job done. That's so when is the movie going to be released? I think uh, from what we hear, it's February 2012. Mm, wow. Quick turnaround. Yeah. yeah. And is it... Uh, now, when it comes out, it has to come out on Blu-ray, I would guess, yes? Well, theatrical first. I oh, it's think. theatrical. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I didn't understand. Yeah, they're gonna so re February, it. they're going to re-release it theatrical. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Wow. That sounds like... A, that sounds very cool. Sounds like a lot of fun. It really does sound like yeah. a lot of fun. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Um... Kirk, you have any? Look, he's looking yeah, at Star Wars the, one. The, the, this in 3D. At, yeah, the the chariot race. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. yeah. Amazing. Uh, that must have been fun to work on. Oh, absolutely. Wow, going around corners. Jabba and, the Hutt in 3D. Ooh, <laughs> I don't know about that. But on the other hand, Princess Leia. <laughs> slave out in 3D. 3D. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, say no more. Say now, no more. Are you booked for uh, for future projects, or is this like a one time, one thing at a time here? Well, we also worked on Narnia. Uh, that, that came out in December that sure. was very well received as well mm -hmm. so there are several films that are now going down the 3D route and we are clearly playing a fairly active role there, on that side. you know James Cameron and others have been very critical of uh, 2D movies converted to 3D obviously it's the only way we're going to get episode 1 in 3D but right. but uh, he says always better to start from scratch you agree that better to shoot from scratch in 3D or in fact you know, I don't really think uh, it's conversion or shoot is, is actually the, the, the solution in fact what we are starting to do right now is we actually recommend depending on the kind of movie you make the kind of scenes you have what's best achieved on both on both different formats you know you may theoretically say you're shooting in 3d but actually what you're doing is just shooting a second eye right and, and you're still setting up mechanical rigs that have right you know which are susceptible to huge failure themselves so it's not 
it's not a perfect science on shoot. On the conversion and I think the tools that are being created and the sophistication that has been brought is uh, I think significantly going to be ahead of the curve as far as the quality is concerned. Do you think people will actually sh do 3D movies this way then instead of shooting them 3D? Yeah, because see, when we say we're shooting 3D, we're not really, there's no real 3D. You're just adding you, information. You're just you, adding information. You know, I think, would you pr you'd probably prefer to have that information though in the conversion process. So if you it's it's good to shoot uh, Knowing that your film is going to be in 3D is better than shooting right. in 3D. Because you'll have more information. You'll have more information. You'll take certain shots. You'll Got cut it. the film in a certain way. It'll lend itself to a more, uh, you know, comfortable viewing experience for Is this what, what, what James Cameron and, and uh, Vince Pace were talking about yesterday where they were saying, uh, uh, we want to make it possible to shoot 2D, 3D, 4K, 60 frame all at once. Sure. So it's all enabled. And then you, the filmmaker has these choices. Sure. Not, not just the day they, sh they they release the movie, but down the road later as well. They have that information. Well, they exactly. Ha they have that, and I think, uh, you know, on the, so what is being shot out there, I think uh, there's no real basis to sort of say one is better than the other. It's, right. The question is, it just comes down to the aesthetic and the understanding amongst filmmakers, because shooting 3D is, an, is is equally complicated, you know. It's right. not. It's not as simple as uh, right. You can setting up a second camera, and you can really you can do a really bad job. And right. I think what Mr. Cameron has been more uh, critical of, which is right, that is, uh, it's the approach towards the conversion. You know, just because you're converting it, it doesn't mean you take it and do it, do a rush job, or you just ignore Clash all of the, the. I'm sorry. Ignore all of the other, uh, you know, <laughs> things that are critical to the whole process. Right. Right. You didn't do Clash of the Titans. We did. You did. Yeah. yeah. There was some criticism of that of that uh, conversion. Yes, there was. Yeah, but you feel like you've gotten better, or I think was it a lack? I of don't think the criticism was again of what we. It wasn't your what, technology. What, what we it was did. the artistic choices it, that were made. And and I think the 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 general issue was that it was an afterthought, you know, which was exactly probably, probably they, what was. They didn't what, shoot it with that in mind. Right. But for but, us, but they didn't shoot episode four with that in mind either, did they? I mean, I think. Uh, Films like Star Wars, I think, have lent themselves to the 3D world, yeah. generally speaking. There's so, so much CGI, for one thing. There's so much thing. CGI, there's yeah. so much of... Uh, so you do, I mean, in all the CGI, you have volumetric information, don't you? You'd have, uh, on most new films, I yeah. think all the films that are in the in the libraries don't necessarily have them archived in the formats that are right. relevant today. So, so you don't have, you couldn't go back to, say, episode four and say, I want the models to, uh, for the CGI. They've thrown that stuff away. You have to work from the film. I don't think they've thrown that away. I, I'm not sure how much CGI existed in during Episode Four because oh, I was, okay. it was all models. Was it was all physical models. Those probably. were physical models. You're kidding. Are. Not Episode Four. I'm sorry. I should yeah, have said Episode One, one the mm -hmm. one you're working on. Sure. I'm so bad at this. I almost <laughs> called it Star Trek. So just please, <laughs> oh, oh, watch out there. Forgive me. In, in episode one, do you still have the original digital models and 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 so forth? Are you able to use those? I think we didn't necessarily need. You didn't need them. We didn't need those specifically. I think because the way the depth was set up, you know, we we knew from the word go, you know, that uh, we'd be able to do it right. without that specifically. Right. Although even the plastic models in Episode Four, I mean, they're three D yeah. in the sense that they're, they're real models, objects. Yeah. yeah. So there's some information. Right. Uh, they're very interesting. Well, it's so nice to to meet you, Namit. I, I, what an exciting project you're getting right. to work on. Thank you. Yeah. Really fun. Do you Thanks have any so other questions for him, Scott? I don't no, no. I, I think take him away from you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's a, it's a fascinating thing, and I'm really glad uh, you were able to come join us. Yeah. 
And yeah, thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, yeah we're, we're, I'm watching the chat room. They're very interested. Yeah, not, and not all of them are broadcast geeks. Everybody's <laughs> interested in this kind of stuff. Thank you, Nami. I think every American and every person in the world who loves movies loves Star Wars. I think. Yeah, I think that's a pretty safe bet. Yep. You're getting to work on, on the best. Yep. Sure. Namit Malhotra is a founder and global CEO. Started in a garage, prime focus, and now uh, working on Star Wars Episode 1. Thank you, Scott, <laughs> for the prompting. Which was not the first episode. 3D. It was the fourth well, episode. Well, hence my confusion. Yes, yeah. it is confusing. It's uh, Yeah, he shot him out of order. Yeah. Right? No big deal. <laughs> Thank you, Nami. They'll fix it. That's great. Great, great, great to meet you. Thanks, Scott, for bringing, uh, bringing Nami by. That's great. You Let's bet. take a break. We're going to talk a little bit about Squarespace.com, and uh, we've got many more guests. You know you're watching us live from Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, at the NAB Show, the National Association of Broadcasters Show, which happens every year. 90,000 professional broadcasters and people interested in that kind of stuff uh, work, on, work, on, uh, work on it. And uh, Oh, good. Oh, we're gonna do it. Should we just go right to go right to it? Okay, I'll do the uh, I'll do the uh, commercial later because thank you, Kirk Harnack, for joining us. No problem. Come back tomorrow. See you tomorrow. This week in Radio Tech. Anything you want to plug while you're here? I, we, we need to do a startup. Namit gave me a great idea. We, we, we want to do a startup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna convert this week in Jar Jar. No, no, we're gonna. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's not a bad idea. We're gonna convert 3D movies to 2D. <laughs> there you go. I'm in. But we're going to do it artistically. Yes. <laughs> Flatten them right out. <laughs> nice to see you. Kirk Harnack from Telus Corporation uh, and the guy who is responsible for our great Axia IP broadcast audio in the uh, studio is really a fantastic thing. Hey, guess who's here? I want to get right to him because I know he just has a little bit of time. Dick Glover, who's the CEO of Funny or Die. Ooh. So go. nice to meet you. Bring some comedy to the morning. We love <laughs> Funny or Die. What a what a great site that is. Well, and uh, yeah, I mean, of course, uh, your partners include Will Ferrell, Adam McKay, Chris Henchy, Judd Apatow, so no Sequoia Capital. A, a little money from group. the other people. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's but I mean, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a big deal because Sequoia said, "Yeah, you got you got these guys." Yeah, we could do a we could do a site, uh, and it, and it's brilliant. It actually, the idea, believe it or not, came from the son of a Sequoia Capital oh, uh, guy. Going back uh, four years today, I think today's our fourth birthday. Um, that kid was seventeen years old, hanging out on the internet, and he says to his dad at dinner, "Hey." How come, you know, uh, he's an aspiring stand-up comic who now four years later is actually doing very, oh, very great. well. He says, how come there isn't like a hot or not, if you remember that site, right. of comedy so I can find the good stuff. People will vote on oh, it. So that was the original concept, funny yeah. or die. die. Correct. I get it. I get Correct. it. And so it came from him. He then, his dad was talking to people, creative artist agency. They said, we know just the right guys to do this kind of <laughs> thing. Introduced him to Will and Adam and Chris and... Here we are. And I, I'm sure Will and Adam and Chris appreciate this kind of free-form ability to make get an idea yeah. like the like the angry landlord baby. Yep, yep, yep. Was that, that was the first one I saw. Was that one of that the first? Was, that launched the site. Yeah. That now uh, up to almost 80 million views. 80 million. <laughs> and deserving every one of them. I'm probably 10 of the 80 million. I love that. <laughs> nothing, I mean, it's nothing funnier than a swearing baby. Don't you think? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree yeah, more. I, <laughs> But I think the freedom. As long as it's that, not your baby. Yeah, right. right. No, I think the freedom that they get, I'm sure that they really, I, I'm sure Adam especially, really appreciates the ability to kind of write yeah. stuff and just do it. And, and all the people we've had, had uh, uh, tremendous participation from A list people throughout oh, yeah. uh, sports and entertainment. 
And the reason they do it is exactly that. They can do whatever they want. And, right. and in essence, there's no failure. You make a video, and if it's not great, hey, it was no a silly deal. little video. Yeah. You make a movie, and it's not great, and on Tuesday morning, they're writing your obituary. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And this is really the next generation of the studio. Yeah, and, 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 and the well, model... That's interesting, really. Yeah, the you model so. to us, we really do yeah. look at it as we're the 21st century version of a fully vertically integrated studio, keep the cost of content down, keep the cost of marketing down, and then distribute your content wherever people are to consume it. So we're doing traditional, I don't know, I put that in quotes maybe, but traditional TV shows. We just What's the longest production. form you do? Well, we just completed production on a movie, feature-length really? movie. Really? That, that again, very low budget, right. very inexpensive, a passion project of a couple of guys who we do a lot of work with, that we have a whole social media and marketing mechanism to where we can market it so your cost of marketing is much lower. Do you provide them with all the technical facilities as well? They come to you it, and say, you know, we don't know what to do, but we have something we want to do. We can. In that case, they, they had access they had to it. production. And, right. But we provided, in fact, Will and Adam are, at Chris, all three are executive producers of the movie providing kind of oversight to it. Well, I, uh, you know, I'm the king of low-budget passion projects. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm behind you 100%. <laughs> Has your model changed a little bit? Because originally it felt like this is going to be a destination site and competing head-to-head -head with YouTube. And I think that that's changed a little yes, bit. Yes, it, it absolutely has changed. That I think it's, it's almost a fluke, and part of the fluke is the, the landlord, that you can develop in this day and age a standalone destination site and brand I don't think you can do that again. We were right. lucky enough to be right place, right, right time, right product, but did it. But once having done that, the, the model is get your product out and have people consume it, make them aware of it, and have right. them consume it wherever they want to consume you it. You still and have the funnier die bugs, absolutely. so we know where it came from. Absolutely. And, and you know, that's one of the reasons I'm here is as we move into this world of connected TVs and, and, and complete you know, uh, ubiquity of broadband and 4G, we need to know how right. are people going to be getting content and how are we sure our content is available to them through whatever device and wherever they are. Well, that's one way the world has changed. You used to go yeah. to Channel 7. You used to go to CBS yeah. to watch Ed Sullivan. Right. Nobody goes anywhere. It's all just kind of floating around. And you might have seen it on Funny or Die yesterday. It doesn't mean you're going to go back tomorrow to see right. what's there now. It's that's not a channel anymore. Well, well, no, exactly. What's the average age of, of someone coming to Funny or Die? What's about, what are the main age groups? Yeah, about 20, 24 years old. It is interesting. clearly, I mean, and... and, and for an advertising model and the website it is boy. you know 78 or 79 percent of our audience is 18 to 34. wow um and uh, that's the demographic advertisers want because they don't watch tv they can't reach correct them. Right. correct they that's say where right. are these people how do we talk to them correct yeah. and it's created a whole market for us in this so-called branded entertainment where you're working with a brand to create an entertaining piece of content which also is an ad for their product and then one of the things I've said often about that audience is everybody thinks, oh, young people hate advertising. That's not true. They hate bad advertising. Yeah. <laughs> they don't like to be talked down to. They don't yep. like to be right. annoyed. But if it's something they're interested in and it's and contextual. It's yeah. Well, it, it, it doesn't it seem like if you want to get your work, if you want to get the word out, you're going to have to create great content in some way, shape, or form. It has to be connected to content. It can't just be a, you know, this is our product anymore. It has to right. have context. Right. No, you can't tell somebody, hey, this is great, go buy it. They're like, 
wait a second, how does it connect to me? You right. know, it, there's much right. more of an emotional connection, which also is a two-edged sword. The, the old story of, boy, hook them when they're 20 and you have a lifetime customer. You know, that's not true anymore. But yet, what is true is hook them with a message or getting into their lifestyle is a very deep connection to you them. Bet and they will stay with you and consume a lot of you until somehow either you disappoint them or, or, or they move on. Yeah, you can't manipulate people into buying your product anymore. No. You can't say, you know, fresher breath, whiter whites. You have to create a bond. Yep. And, but that's where a space like Funny or Die makes, you've exactly. got the bond already. Mm -hmm. And Correct. it's the same thing for us, frankly. We've got the bond already, so it's a natural follow-on right. to that. Yeah, no, that's exactly how, right. How do you do your ads? Are they interstitial? Are they pre-rolls? Yeah. Where do they show the up? Combination. One, uh, we we sell spots and dots and, you know, the, the traditional IAB internet media. Kind of I banners. Like, la yeah, last month we served over 400 million ad impressions mm -hmm. and, and that you just sell on a CPM basis, right. whatever. Second, we, we do not do pre-rolls on the site. We do do pre-rolls off the site. So if you're viewing our video on a YouTube channel or in an embedded player at a blogger or somewhere like that, you will, not every video, that's, there's a formula, but you will see a pre-roll. That's a challenge because we know people don't like pre-rolls. Right. We've, we've been thinking about it as well, and it's a real challenge. Yep. Uh, how, how do you get people to accept that? We, and again, we're doing, frankly, a lot of trial and error, a lot of testing. This is all new. Yeah. Nobody knows. Yeah. And, and that's why we don't do it on the site itself. On the site, if you're coming to the site, you're coming to watch a video. Right. Or we now have some articles and, you know, infographics and, and stuff. Things like that, like that, but primarily to watch a video. And so if that's what you're doing, we're saying, you know what? We're not going to risk diminishing that experience by putting on a pre-roll. If you get this as you're, you know, reading a blog on the Huffington Post and they're talking about it, and it says we say, okay, you're there, maybe you will tolerate it more. So we have been doing pre-rolls, and so far we have not seen any resistance. Now yeah. we monitor it very, very closely because again, you talk about the bond with the consumer and the audience. You don't want to mess with that. Now, is that an active insertion, or is it a dynamic insertion, or is it something that's burned into the video? How dynamic insertion. Right. We don't burn anything into the videos, yeah. um, and and we do. That's the other part of our company, which which uh, is, I think, unique. It's all us. It's all our own technology. We've got office in Palo Alto where you have the world-class athletes on the technology, social media, right. engineering side. We do that, we build, it's our own player. It's, it's our, well, we, it's not our own ad serving, but it's managed by us, obviously. Um, we also have all our own social media guys who are experts in social media because they live that life, not because mm -hmm. Funny or Die has hired them to do it. It's, that's what they live. And, and we use social media not as a marketing tool per se, but as another way to connect on a daily basis mm -hmm. with the audience. Mm -hmm. And so we'll be, you know, doing things, you know, whether it's with Twitter, whether it's with Tumblr, whether it's with anybody else, that has nothing to do with a website or nothing to do with a video, right. just having to do with something we think is funny, an observation on life, a place that we want to go. Um, and, and so it's been a very effective part of the company. And you see yourself as the next generation movie studio. This is where yeah. content people will come and say, this is how I want right. to And, and you do, do the math, you keep the cost of content down, you keep the cost of marketing down, you maintain an audience that you can market directly to, 
you don't need millions of people to go to a movie that studio. Sounds familiar. And pay <laughs> <it>. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. That sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe yeah. we should think about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, in, in a lot of ways, you know, as you know, I used to work on films and TV, and I still work in films and TV and, and web, and and I, and I try to explain to people, this is just media now. Like we're not creating, we're not filmmakers or TV professionals or web producers. We're just making, you know, content, right? Yep. No, exactly. That's They're exactly asking right. in the chat room, we're going to see Angry Landlord Baby the movie? That, that you won't see. <laughs> Child protection laws, yeah, you unfortunately. Well, Will and Adam, actually, when the movie came out, there were some people that, oh, I that, remember. that were there upset. Was a little, like, yeah. oh, my How God. How dare you do that? Yeah, now was what, it Adam's kid? It was Adam's kid, and, and what happened was they were saying, okay, we're going to start this website. Will and Adam said to the Sequoia partner, well, what's the budget? He said, uh, there's no budget. <laughs> just, just do it. You guys must have, like, home movie camera or something, yeah, right? right. Oh, okay, oh, cool. Let's think about it. the budget? And Adam it started thinking about it. He said, you know, my daughter, like, will mimic anything I say. Oh, I said, I bet we could do something <laughs> great so with great. that. <laughs> 80 million views later. Oh, Dick, it's so nice to meet you. You're, you're doing a great job. Pleasure. Funny or Die is just fantastic. And, well, thank uh, you. And we wish you the best. I think it's the future of production. It's been fun it. being Absolutely. here. Yeah. Nice to talk to kindred spirits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, we're cheap. <laughs> As I say, kindred spirits. Kindred spirits. Thank you. Dick Lover, <laughs> CEO of FunnyOrDie.com. Uh, well, that's that's a really great success story. Yeah, and, I, and I have to say, I saw, you know, of course, we all went and watched The Angry Landlord and uh, and then and then didn't go back. And I thought, this is going to be difficult if they want to make this a destination. And they obviously were able to clearly pivot and say, it is, uh, oh, no, but we don't care. Let it be anywhere. This right. has always been our philosophy. Let it be anywhere. Yeah, people right. always ask me, how are you going to protect your content? I'm like, don't. No, 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 no. That's yeah, a bad model. That out there. Yeah. Absolutely. Alex Lindsay has joined us from the Pixel Core, PixelCore.com. For the Multimedia Guild, who was there in hog heaven at uh, NAB. I know you were no walking kidding. around. I walked around with you for a little bit, streaming uh, from uh, back there. Uh, also, pixelcore.tv. But if you want to watch the live streams, pixelcore.com slash live. That's correct. You're going to do more of that. How did, how did, how did the poker game go? Uh, I, I, did, I didn't last very long. I, so I, I, he doesn't know how to play poker. No, no, I what? Know, no, no. So I know how to play poker. I've just never played Texas Hold'em. Uh. So, uh, so as soon as I realized that it's basically a seven-card seven card stud with a, with a communal pot. Right. You know, like as soon as that, that model hit, I understood what, the, what, what I needed right. to do. Right. The issue was is that, is that there was some, a whole bunch of sharks on one side, and we were like a bunch of, I guess we're right. called, I guess the technical term is donkeys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I was, in, you know, that, that I, was, I, was, I, I was calling us dolphins, but they said, no, no, it was really Well, you know the line uh, from Rounders, donkeys. you know, every, every table has a fish. Look around. If you don't see the fish, it's you. <laughs> well, so so I, I just folded and folded and folded and finally got one good hand and I played it hard and everyone went all in. Like like I just picked the hand where everyone was going to go all in. And um, that was the last hand I played. Look at all these people. I've just been oh. handed four post-it notes. We're gonna bring, are we going to bring in all four of these all at once? Holy cow. Well, while we're getting that set up, uh, from Adobe, this is the Dib Digital Re Rebels panel came, is going to come great. by. Uh, from f uh, filmmaker, visual effects supervisor. I'm going to let you do the questioning, Alex Lindsay, because this is your bailiwick. Yes. And I'm also then going to ask you what you've seen on the show floor that you're interested in. Uh, you took me to something that was pretty mind-boggling, and I was very interested in that, but we'll talk about mm -hmm. that in a second. Before we do, though, I want to say hello to our friends at squarespace.com and encourage you, if you have not yet created a website or if perhaps you'd like to create a new one. You know, it, For years, uh, people, and I see Dick D. Bartolo do this all the time, uh, when they, they see a, a, a good idea, they, they run out and they get the domain name, 
but they never do anything with it. Right. It seems to me you should run out, get the domain name, and then create a site. And there is no easier way to do it for free for the first two weeks than Squarespace.com. You could you could set it's, up a site like that, and it could be your test yeah. your test case. And you don't have to be technical. You don't have to know anything about HTML coding. You don't have to know how to install it on the server. You don't not have to do any of that stuff. You just simply put it together. And I've done uh, a fair bit of it myself. Yeah. And uh, and and it's just you just literally it's all WYSIWYG. Talk about, you know, if you want to raise money, if you, you've got this idea for this uh, comedy site, we'll call it Funny or Die, and I'd like to see if I can raise some money. Having that site up and working as right. a proof of concept is absolutely critical to the next step of getting funding, and this makes it as easy as it could be. Go to squarespace.com, click the green Try It Free button. You'll only need to give them, a, you don't need to give them a credit card number, just a, a password and a uh, uh, a login, the name of your site, and you're, you know, funnyordie.squarespace.com, and you're up and running. And there's all these things that you would normally think you'd have to write code for that are just widgets. You just, it's, oh, I, I want, I want an Amazon connection. I want a RSS feed, uh, Flickr, books that Twitter. I like, and and, yeah. and all the other pieces, and all of that stuff's just built in. You just drag it and drop it. Here's Soundwave in our chat room says, my brother's wife's sister set up a Squarespace. Well, if Soundwave's brother's wife's sister could do it, you can, do it. <laughs> you can do it. Uh, here's the deal: Squarespace.com/slash uh, twit, try it free for 14 days. Twelve dollars a month for hosting and uh, all the uh, content, uh, uh, all the software, everything you need, including all those great widgets. You don't need to have any uh, expertise in CSS or JavaScript. Although if you do, you can use it. Uh, we really love Squarespace. Version six is just around the corner. It is very exciting. Squarespace.com slash twit. We thank them for their support. We also thank the folks at LiveU for providing the streaming for this show. Uh, we are using LiveU backpacks to get the signal back up to the Twit Cottage, not only from everywhere out in the field, but here in the studio. You were using the LiveU yesterday as you wandered around the, yeah, sh the show floor. It's the way to do They're it. They're great. LiveU.com. And also thanks to our friends at NewTek for the TriCaster HD850 we're using to switch it. Don't we love these new lower thirds? I think they look so good. Oh, man, I can't wait. We're going to have the 850 in the new studio. It's going to be a big upgrade. And uh, Alex Gumpel is running the board right now. Um, he says, you know, I can do a whole lot more with these lower thirds. I just didn't want to mess around with it for today. But we're going to get him to start doing motion with things that will be flying in and right all over the place. So let's, uh, let's get our panel uh, of, of wizards here. They just came back from the Digital Rebels panel. We've got some Digital Rebels in the house here. Um, I'll start with, I, I don't know which order or who, or who you are. Well, I'll start here with Tyler Nelson. He's a visual effects supervisor. Tyler, it's nice to meet you. Welcome to uh, the Twit panel today. Thanks for having me. You're a digital rebel, huh? Some say. <laughs> He's a mild-mannered digital rebel. Uh, sitting to uh, his right, Gareth Edwards, who is a filmmaker. Nice to meet you, Gareth. I prefer the term freedom fighter. A freedom fighter. <laughs> a hacker. Put that mic right up in your, in your, in your nose there. We'll hear you a lot better. And then, okay, now I have a 50-50 chance of getting this right. You're either Johnny or you're Jacob. 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 Jacob yeah. Rosenberg is here. He's from Ben Ito Brothers. That's one way of saying it. Or Benito Brothers. Bandito Brothers. Yeah. Bandito Brothers. <laughs> Two words. <laughs> Three it's syllables. It's misspelled here. It's Bandito, like Frito Bandito? Absolutely. Bandito like Brothers. Bandito. Yeah, Bandito Brothers. Okay. I think they, they thought you said Benito Brothers. That's all right. That's I, don't, that's I know that those guys are good people, too. <laughs> <laughs> nice to have you, Jay, Jacob. You. So that means that you are Johnny Loicano? That's me. Loicano? That's me. One of those. From Adobe. That's me. That's great. So, Johnny, what was the Digital Rebels panel all about? Well, it's actually coming up later today. Oh, it's coming up? Yeah. So you're soon to be Digital Rebels. Soon to be Digital Rebels. Yeah. Right now we're, we're Digital Wannabes, but 
the panel is really about what's happening in the industry is that uh, these guys are really pioneers and mavericks uh, and they're really driving kind of a new trend which is to use uh, you know digital software and uh, digital distribution like the internet to dramatically lower the cost but still produce incredibly fascinating content. I sense a theme here. We just had the Dick Lover on the CEO of Funny or Die and that's exactly what he was saying. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly exactly the case. So uh, go ahead, uh, I'll let yeah. you. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, of course I think that this is, uh, this has been a big year for I think a lot of digital uh, rebels. <laughs> you know, uh, what, what are some of the tools that you guys are really focusing on uh, on the floor that, that have come out this week or recently um, that are, you think are going to affect your workflow? Anything specific? I think there's an eternal goal for all digital rebels to have the ultimate camera. Right. And, and so I think... <laughs> if there's that, quite a few ultimate cameras What is, cameras it, what is the there? ultimate well, this camera? Is, this is the big question. I'm not sure. If you go to the Red, they'll tell you it's the Epic. You know, if you right. go to Sony, they'll tell you maybe it's the F3 and things like this. Um, but We're excited about the F3, yeah. Full-frame sensor, 4K. It's a, but it's, it's still pretty big. It's a, it's a small shoebox. Oh, so ideal would also be small. Absolutely. Yeah. Portable. Yeah. Small camera. Good in low large light. image sensor. Good in low light. Yeah. Uh, adaptable lens selection so you can put different glass on it. Which right. Well, and that's changed dramatically over the, over the last couple of years. I mean, I think part of the 5D kind of coming into it. And the 5D was really a big push mm -hmm. for a lot of this, mm -hmm. don't you think? I mean, the red was, of course. Well, the, I mean, the, I think that what, what the 5D did that was different than any other camera is it minimized the footprint of what you needed on set to do something. Mm -hmm. The red, as awesome of an idea as it was, and as amazing of a launch of a product that we've ever seen. I mean, yeah. closed door sessions at NAB. I've right. been coming here for 13 years and I've never seen anything like that. And um, the, the 5D really allowed you just to go out with a small camera and get beautiful images. And that's kind of what you want to do. The, the, the RED, for better or for worse, you, you had Video Village, you had a video tap, you had a camera that was just as big as a film camera. The whole idea was, hey, this isn't film. So it was less expensive than the big film cameras. Yeah. But, what and, you but want not, is a camcorder that looks great. Um, no? I, I don't know that you want a camcorder that looks, well, the image should look That's great. That's what I mean. Yeah. It gives I mean, you I think, great video. I think the Red Epic gets closer yeah. to, to, to that. It's smaller. It's smaller. It's, it's a little bit more compact. I mean, you just, you don't want to have to be moving mass all the time. Right. But you, you also, you know, want, want those choices. I mean, I think the biggest thing that the, the, the Canon did was it said, oh, well, you could put this type of glass on, you could put this type of glass on, you could do this. And all of those choices allow that to be a better and you those know, were inexpensive product. choices. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're not you're not spending. You're not um, worried about PL. You know, you're not. You're not exactly. You're, and if you wanted to modify your camera for a PL mount, you could, and right. you could rent those, you know, those those lenses. Right. But you know, it's funny because five years ago we just said, we would just be saying, I just want to save on film stock. So <laughs> I mean, going digital is a big leap. Yep. In terms of inexpensive film production, right away, right. It is and it isn't because I, f I feel like with digital more than film, you have a, 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 a process, and I think uh, Tyler can, can speak to this pretty well. In, there's just so much you can fix and change and noodle with, where in film, you, you're, it's not you're married to it, but it's, film is much more defined. Right. There's so many anomalies that exist within right. digital f filmmaking that that becomes part of the new aesthetic, right. or those are problems that you have to solve. Well, we've seen that with all digital. I mean, even writing, it's too easy to edit in a, in a word processor, and yeah. you never stop messing with yeah. it. Yeah. So it's funny, Tyler, you don't usually think of visual effects as being inexpensive. Oh, uh, no, I mean, like, uh, <laughs> it... And yet, specific, I mean, Yeah, specifically, like, if you go to a visual effects house, they can be 
incredibly expensive. That's right. why budgets of movies can be so high these days. Right. But because there's products, like consumer products out there, that like After Effects, that you can just simply take take a footage that you shot off the red camera and do final visual effects within this consumer application that's like one of the advantages of it right right and um, so I, when I you're a visual when you talk visual effects these days you're talking move the mic a little bit oh, closer sorry. or sit up one or the other yeah poor Burke is he's, he's crawling around on the floor trying to figure out how to do that um, so nowadays we're talking you're talking about consumer software applied to digital move, uh, film or digital well, video yeah I mean like uh, there there's like the professional products quote unquote professional products out there that may might be able to do it a little bit faster, more hardware acceleration behind them, but if you're not needing the speed, uh, like uh, the immediacy of it, such as like in a commercial environment where you're finishing commercial, like commercials, like 30 second spots in front of visual effects supervisors that need stuff done like right right now, right. there's no need to expedite it unless you know, you're... Well, and there's certain levels of, of, of uh, creativity that you get also when you have that, you can that post process. I mean, I... Yeah. Um, you know, I was doing Star Wars shots in After Effects. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the late, in the late '90s, and so so the thing is, is that it's it is a. Um, but what you get, you know, what you have an enormous amount of power in something like Nuke or something like Shake, but but the main thing, it, or it used to be Shake, uh, um, but the level of creativity that you get from a, a program like After Effects will give you the opportunity to add a lot of those pieces. What do you think are the most important pieces when you're working in After in in whatever post production tools that you're using? Uh, what are the most important parts of those that, that you find uh, make this all work, that allow you to glue this all back together? I, th I think it's um, the, the ability to, um, like, I, I, I can't really speak to this because I'm not, I, super, visual effects super, uh, supervisor is not really the title that I go by. I'm more of an assistant editor. But... Um, I do a lot of the but, visual. Oh, but isn't that the point? Yeah, yeah. That you, you, you know, assistant editor who does all the visual effects. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's, yeah. Please. <laughs> but, um, More of them. There is yeah. no supervisor. <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, it, I, I can't speak to the power behind Nuke because I've never used it. I, I've used Shake just a little bit. Mm -hmm. But um, as, as far as like the rudimentary visual effects that need to be done for the movies that I've done, then... Like I'm, I'm for for instance, like the Benjamin Button or the Social Network. I don't think you're capable of achieving the same face replacement results in After Effects that you are right. in certain proprietary softwares that have uh, been built by these huge right. facilities. But you know, if you're going to go in there and you're going to do little paint work, little stabilization, split screen comps, you know, painting, it, it can be done in After Effects. And I think Gareth can speak to that as well because. He's, uh, he's done quite a bit with his movie. Tell us about your movie. What is your movie, Edgar? Um, I take too long to explain my film. That was my problem. It's kind of a mix of different things. It's, a mo it's called Monsters. It was a monster movie. But the main thing about it was that we, um, we shot it with a tiny crew. I, was, I filmed it myself. We had a sound man. Because sound's very important, as you can tell. <laughs> it is. part of the whole it experience. Is. It's a big deal. But it was all done on uh, Adobe Creative Suite. So, and the great thing about it is... I find what's important with the tools is that they all interconnect because when you sit and watch a movie, you're not watching all these separate elements. You're watching an entire, you know, single experience. And the ultimate software would be very similar to that. And so what I like about the reason I use After Effects is because it links with Photoshop and Premiere, which is what we edited the film in quite seamlessly. So you can you can build a very crude version of the film as you go and you can 
it's a bit like being a paramedic or something. You can go and fix the things that need fixing and leave the things that don't. And I think it's a much more efficient way to work. Otherwise, what happens is you invest a lot of time and energy messing with pixels that no one's ever going to notice. And, and, and so I really like that way of working. And I've just, I've always been an Adobe person. So um, Johnny likes you. <laughs> Love. Yeah. So actually, Johnny, didn't they didn't Adobe today announce a, a new uh, pricing and a Creative Suite five and, and all of that? What, what? A new enhancement to the entire Creative Suite. So we yeah. had CS five that came out about a year ago. We've now introduced CS five point five, and one of the major enhancements in the suite is actually a whole new set of video tools. So enhancements to Premiere and After Effects, uh, as well as some of the media encoding capabilities in the back end. So entirely revamped the entire video portfolio within that suite. And I'm sure it's not your uh, domain, but I'm, I'll mention the new pricing model includes rental, right? Subscriptions. So Subscription. we're now going to offer subscriptions as well, you bet. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of interesting. It makes a lot of sense. You yeah. Know, it's, it's one of those things, it's hard to figure out how to do it, mm -hmm. you know, and, I, and I, I think that's a big upgrade. I mean, I think we don't talk about that that much, but figuring out how you're going to turn it on, turn it off, make it work, you know, pay for it, sit all, you know, because it's something Well, that it can be a big chunk up all at once if you're talking about a monthly, uh, you know, price of 129 bucks or something like that. It's a little bit more accessible, especially to filmmakers who are, you know, on a budget. Well, the, the, the challenge is always that when you have a, a piece of software that might be a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars, that upfront cost is big. Uh, some uh, customers will like the ability to go in and actually rent that on a monthly, right. or in fact, annual basis. We're finding that the, the biggest uptick has been on annual subscription, which we thought was a little surprising. Yeah. Also, you have things where someone's doing a project and they're working on it for two, three I months. I only need it for this long. Why should I buy it Correct. forever? So yeah. they'll, they'll rent it or lease it, if you will, for that, that amount of time sense. and then yeah. turn it off. Jacob, you've, you've worked on major motion pictures as well. You've consulted with a lot of... I have. I'm seeing the list here of <laughs> all the movies yeah. that you've worked on. So this is a big shift in some way in how movies are made or no? Yeah, it is. I, yes and no. I think um, I've been very fortunate in that uh, I, I carved a, a nice little niche for myself with Adobe quite a long time ago in becoming a, a very good expert in Adobe video software tools. And when you get phone calls from really famous visionary directors that, that you know, you you would love like the opportunity to work with. Maybe a James Cameron type of person. You, you, you jump at the chance to solve those problems. <laughs> yeah, so sure. I, 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 I solved a a 3D uh, uh, a playback, pre-visualization playback thing for Jim with a, a friend of mine, Rob Legato, who's an incredible visual effects supervisor. And, and, uh, and so, so that, uh, the, the bigger picture is that it, it's problem solving right. that doesn't change. Right. And I think that... The tools change, but the problems the, remain the, the, the same. The problems are the same. And, I, and I th what I love about this industry and about the work that I do and the people that I meet is that we all, you know, at least the three of us here are probably very good problem solvers. Mm -hmm. If there was ever a problem, I'm pretty sure we would be good. I, is we that haven't kind had of enough the conversation. Job? It is I struggled getting my coffee this morning. I wouldn't agree with that. <laughs> That's not the problem that I'm but worried I mean, that really, you could solve. Really, you're, you're a storyteller if you're yeah. a filmmaker, but ultimately in, in the process of telling your story, there are problems after problem after problem you have to solve. And It's true, and I think that the, the tough thing, and for me as a, a CTO at my company and also a director, is that you, when you're focusing on something creatively, you don't want to be inundated with all of these technical thoughts and technical concerns. Right. Um, but at the same time, if my partners or someone else you know, at the company is working on something, I want to be able to say, okay, wait, this is what we can do, and that solves right. that. And I think that, you know, like, that I think the wonderful thing with Adobe 
has that been that their tools solve problems to me in a very literal way. I mean, they have a new warp stabilizer plug-in in After Effects 5.5. That's a direct response to all the rolling shutter artifacts that come from HDSLR material because of the, you know, the digital uh, imagers. So, you know, knowing how to use those tools, knowing how to counteract those tools on set, knowing which camera rigs give you less warble, those are good, you know, feathers to have in your cap. But I, I just feel like for my own personal history, coming from analog days, editing on three-quarter inch deck and cutting film and film school and, and then learning digital video with Quadra 950s. <laughs> I had one of those. Video vision telecasts. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, yeah. I you mean, had to, you, had, you had to uh, blank the drive every yeah. week so that it would be fast yeah. enough to handle uncompressed standard depth yeah. footage. And you would edit 320 by 240, you know? And, and I, so I think that there was a, there's a level of problem solving that I just find really inspiring. And well, and isn't it in some ways easier to do that problem solving with generalist, generalist apps? So mm -hmm. applications that do a lot of different things mm -hmm. rather than, I mean, our industry moved very quickly towards specialization where, yeah. uh, you know, for 10 years or 15 years, it was about apps that do just one thing and yeah. just one thing and, and, and people who become very, very specialist. But as it seems like as you go more and more into this independent process where we don't have those kind of budgets or we don't have that kind of specialty, there's an advantage to having a not only having tools that can do a, solve a general set of problems, but have people who can solve a general set yeah. of problems. Yeah, and and I, and I I think those those tools really, you know, the ease of getting in and out of those tools is paramount, mm -hmm. because having a, a really skilled nuke artist, you know, I mean, those guys node based render all that stuff. That's those are different languages, but I feel like for for, for me with Premiere, and I've, I've sort of been this off in this corner trying to do great things with Premiere. You can do anything. There's no limitation. There really, I've, I've never come across anything where I was like, well, I can't do that. Um, with other applications, they're just not designed that way. So there's the, the, the plus and minus, plus and pluses and minuses of having that, that, that freedom right. to solve those problems. And, yeah. and, and they're designed to do what they do really, really fast. And so in a, in a big pipeline, in a yeah. lot, you know, at a at a digital domain or an ILM yeah. or whatever, those tools make perfect sense. Yep. You know, because that's exactly the the razor. The, but but as an independent, you know, where there's eight of us and we got to finish a film, or there's 15 of us that have to finish a film, you kind of want. I know when we pick teams, we're always looking for people who can do green screen, can do yep. match moving, can do editing, can do shooting, can you know, like like to us, those are like we call them super predators. Yeah. You know, because because we need and we and we train them that way. Yeah. So that because they'll solve the problems more effectively because they have. They understand the whole the whole pipeline, and it's infectious when you have those artists together and they start to see, oh, this this is how easy it is. You know, we, we started a visual effects company with with some of the guys uh, who left PLF, Stephen Laws and Sean Cushing, and you know, all of a sudden we're using synthize to track things, and it's like, you know, you learn, oh, the, the guy that writes synthize is really accessible, and you can, sh you know, throw shots at him that he'll. Have. I mean, there's just a wonderful community of those people, and it's like. You know, when I first heard about what Tyler did on the social network, it was like, yeah, that, that makes that makes perfect sense. But yeah, that's awesome, right? You know, and 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 like well, really, people feed off of each other. Absolutely. Too. Like when you have all these generalists all in the same room, they're constantly teaching each other how to get how to get through those next steps. And before you know it, you've got guys that were, came into editing and now they're doing motion capture. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And a lot of it's because those tools have become a lot less expensive. So exactly. Forgive me, but I want to know what Tyler did on the social network. Oh wow, that was a leading. <laughs> I like it. It's um, it's really impressive. So tell me about it. Uh, so basically, I, I created this workflow. Uh, we shot the movie on Red, and uh -huh. uh, basically, one of the advantages of having Red is you know the media is small enough where you can keep it all contained within a, a couple. A couple well, of very, very, very big de sands. Depending on how much <laughs> store, uh, how much uh, you actually shot, right? It, you know, 
but you have access to it. It's all Upwards online. Of, uh, maybe let, let's let's just throw out a number thirty terabytes. So you have a, a, a SAN containing thirty terabytes of red footage. All you have to do is like it's all connect there. to that to some degree. Yeah. And you have final shots available to you. Yeah. So what what I did is um, I uh, I took this mentality that I had on uh, Benjamin Button where you know we wanted to conform everything within house. And we used, uh, at the, that time, we used this uh, Iridas frame cycler to basically untar a bunch of DPX from LTO tapes, which the, the native source of that was uh, it, it was uh, DPX frames. And we, we had it all on our XAN, and from there, we uh, brought in EDL into a uh, frame cycler, and then it all connected. And I wanted to do the same thing, but the price tag for frame cycler is a little too high and you know they're, they're, I couldn't get the, the, the kind of workflow that I wanted out of it. So what I did is I created this workflow where I uh, basically strung out the entire each reel that I was working in as an image sequence and I chopped it up into individual folders and put those into different shot uh, different folders. One to, folder uh, per yeah, shot? One, or? one folder per shot and I brought that into Premiere and I laid it out as a timeline. And then I connected that using, you know, the uh, I'm, God, I'm, I'm, dynamic link, dynamic link uh, capability is uh, between Premiere and After Effects, and I brought it into After Effects, and then all of a sudden I had an image sequence of the entire movie separated into individual layers, just stacked in in a composition, and I uh, conformed the movie that way. So anytime I needed to do any work on that, like stabilize, paint work, composition, I would just go in, work on that shot individually, hide it, that shot was done. Wow. And I, I output that as a image sequence to our DI facility, and we did that entire online of our movie. That's pretty amazing. For, wow. And, but that's not all. Next to nothing. But that's not all? But that's it not is, all. I mean, Tyler, what I love that what, what you did that I keep bringing up every time we have these conversations because I just think it's so smart. <laughs> He's very shy. Is, is he? I, I, I'm never on camera. So. <laughs> he, he, you know, I, I understand that David Fincher is very precise and knows what he wants and, and you know, has people around him that, that, that give him that. And, uh, you know, he wanted the Aaron Sorkin dialogue to be tighter. So Tyler has the whole After Effects composition of the entire film. He can start changing the pace of the wow. film by splicing the frames in half when you have over-the-shoulder shots. Well, well, that's not entirely me. That's, that's the editors uh, doing that, and they've... they've because they are aware of how that's easy where, it is to do in... That's the Academy Award-winning work, right? Yeah, that's the Academy Award-winning <laughs> yeah, But you yeah. need that team to do Academy yeah. Award-winning work. You have I mean, to have the tools. Yeah. That film yeah. was in, an incredible, like, just went yeah. from Amazing. beginning to end. Amazing. But basically yeah. what we did is we took maybe, like, the same performance, but tightened it by 15 frames, so we put a split in the middle and then kind of, like, squeezed them together. And because you're able to... You have After Effects right there, you just... Well, we use Synthize to track the data... I just found tracking points, stabilized. That's and, amazing. Uh, match yeah. yeah. I think That's another interesting avenue, just uh, along the same lines, of what Gareth did, which is I joke about the zero one two principle, which is he he did um, a nice piece with you know, zero crew, one actor in two days. Wow. And uh, that was a piece that Gareth can actually talk about how he integrated stuff and 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 did very rapid work as well. I'm actually not here, by the way. Um, I recorded this like two days ago, and Tyler has put me in. Yeah, it seemed it's like amazing, we're talking. isn't it? <laughs> and he actually sped you up a little bit, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I like the tilt shift effect on your hair. I, I sound more butch <laughs> now, thankfully. Just lowered the pitch of my voice a bit. Um, yeah, no, I mean, um, 
one of the great things, I guess, was uh, or a thing that changed my whole career was um, I entered this competition where you have to make a film in 48 hours in two days. And John Landis was the judge, and I love American oh, Werewolf, fun. and I really wanted to get a film in front of him. And I'd got really frustrated because I'd worked my way up directing in television, and you'd be in a situation where there'd be, you'd have like 50 to 100 people helping you. And suddenly something magical would happen that you hadn't predicted, which is always what you're looking for, a happy accident. And you'd say, quick, let's just move things and get over here. And they'd say, well, we can do that, but it's going to take like yeah. half an hour. And we'd have these joking conversations with the producer where you say, so he'd say, why, why can't we just adapt? And he'd say, well, it's because we're spending too much money. We have too many people we can't afford to. And you say, so you're telling me that if we spent no money and had no one, <laughs> we, we can do that. anything we want. And he would laugh and go, yeah. And it's like, well, that's how I'm making my next film. And and wow. just so happened that this uh, this competition came along, and I thought, right, let's do it. And I grabbed an actor, um, one of these. I just bought an adapter, the 35 mil adapter, that, and stuck on the front of the camera, and spent two days. Used, edited it in Premiere, used After Effects, put some effect shots in there and stuff. And and I was more proud of those two days' work than the last 10 years wow. combined. It was, it just felt such a liberating thing, and it was so exciting. This feeling of this is it, this is what I've been waiting for, you know, in that you can go make a movie now, there's no one can stop you, you know, if you've got these tools, you can do anything you want, and I showed that short to a production company, the first me meeting I went into, they were like, let's make a movie, and three months later, we were in Mexico shooting our film, it was, it sounds, I kind of say it about like that, I think, God, that sounds easy, doesn't it? <laughs> it, there was well, it takes a lot of talent, that, it takes a lot of talent, it well. takes a lot of planning. But that's the point, is the tools now get out of the way right. so the talent can shine. Yeah, because it really, really used to be, we used to be in the situation where you needed that big crew, you needed those big cameras, you needed, right. I mean, to, to get that kind of look, you were shooting with either, you know, maybe you'd have a DBX100, was the, that was the Rebel B because tool before that. But it, because if, you, if you know film history, there have been these inflection points in film history when they were able to get cameras small enough that they could go on location. Movies changed. You, know, you had to do everything on, on a soundstage until the 60s and 70s, and that's when you had this amazing revolution in well, movies. It was really, the to me, I equate this as the, it's very much the cinema verite reportage movement of the 60s and 70s with with you know, Eclair making their 16 millimeter camera. Exactly. And you could go exactly. out and actually like news reporting. Like there was all these really interesting documentaries right. that were being made by really intelligent because Harvard people. Because suddenly you people. could. Right. You suddenly you could, and then all of a sudden you have these really wonderful personal movies in the 70s that are a reflection right. of having more immediate access Bonnie to these tools and, and feeling comfortable. And all these great movies. And it's, it's Do you think we're the same thing's happening now? Or about I to? I, th I think that we're we're in a moment where you can pick up a camera and make a beautiful image like you've never been able yeah. to make before. I don't know if, I don't know if the the state of the film industry is in a place to support the well, radical in fact, it level probably of artistry. Won't be in the, the film 70s. industry that does it. Yeah, it won't. It will. It, who who knows? I mean, we're we're all sitting up here because we've done unique things and right. and have you know made some sort of a of, of a ripple in some way. But it's 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 hard to say. Because the, the, the whole landscape of digital media hasn't sussed itself out in terms of what makes money and what doesn't make money. And unfortunately, that's what's behind so many things right now. I mean, when you think of your, of your short films, or not short films, but full-length full, full length films, are you still looking at like where I really want it to end up as a movie screen? Or do you think of it as I just want a lot of people to watch it? I mean, you know I think I, to be honest with you, it's the movie screen, right? right? This is what I grew up wanting to do. I don't know about you. It's the holy grail. You have mm -hmm. a film in the cinema. I've made a movie. You have yeah. the badge. Your <laughs> mum's proud. And it's... And I've, what was very interesting with the journey we went on with our film is there was a lot of conversations. Like, we got a theatrical release in the States through Magnolia, and they are trying this new business model of 
they on the they, theater. Yeah, they, they give a film a theater. Because the problem is you have this window, right? So if you want to do video on demand or give it to iTunes, you've got to wait, I think, three months or something before, after it goes to the theater before you can start doing things like that. So they bought a load of theaters um, so that they could change the rules. And so what happened is our film actually ended up on iTunes before it had its theatrical release. I think it was the first film to do that or something. Mm. It made, made a lot of money. And, and there was a lot of conversations where people would say... Um, like you have to as a filmmaker get over this idea that, that your film is in the cinema you know if you can get over that your life will be a lot better this, you know that's how the business model works for sort of lower budget movie making and, but my response always was in a weird way it's like it, the day that filmmakers get over that desire to be in the cinema is the day you don't really need a distribution company it's like there's nothing stopping us in the future uploading the films that you make to iTunes yourself why would you need right a distribution company, okay, maybe well, I think they, that's a good question. Yeah, and make, maybe they can make posters and stuff, but the reality is those posters <laughs> are seen by everybody on in websites. You can make a poster in Photoshop. And we you just can had send to see your funny and funnier die up here on this on this set, and 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 that's where you see people uh, like you know Adam and uh, and uh, making they make they're filmmakers. They're going to keep making filmmakers, Adam McKay, but uh, making films. But they also appreciate the the ability to do these short, simple things on the internet as well. You know, there's. Uh, I understand. That's nothing like having it on the big screen. But that may be changing. But too. It's, it's almost like that. That the generation, like we grew up, we know what grain is. All of us know what grain is here. There are film kids, grain. Film grain. Grain. If I say grain, all of us go, yeah, grain. There will be very shortly right. a generation of kids who will not know what grain is. Right. And I think that that generation, the kids that grow up with like being validated, is playing on YouTube. Right. For us, being validated is being on a big screen at a festival, right. maybe winning an award it's at a, a new festival, generation. and then yep. you maybe get distribution. I think well, that new generation you, may not. Do you think as independent filmmakers, I mean, one of the things, without being able to create the big effects and without being able to create the big vista shots sometimes, with the, um, do you think it's more challenging to get into the theater? Because you're now competing with, you know, the, the reason I go to, to see a movie now is because it's a visual experience. Yeah. Like, I'm going to see something because I want to see it in the theater on a big screen. If I don't, like, today, if well, Sideways came out, I go, forget. I'm going to rent that. Right. Let's not I'm going to rent Sideways. Right. There are a lot of great, there are a lot of people with big screen TVs and great systems. Well, that's, well, that's the, I think that's the point. I'm saying. I'm saying I have a 50-inch, you know. You still want to go to the theater. No, I, but, no I don't, but I only want to go to see, I, I go to the theater to see stuff Inception, like. Inception. To right. see Inception or Rango right. or, or something that's, that's going to be a big thing that I don't want to see on a 50-inch. But if it's a story, like if it's a really good story, I'm like, I'm going to get that on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you think, now, do you think that. Netflix now is starting to do their own production. That was do a big see, deal. That do you guys see this as a, as a, a growth market deal. for you as far as building stuff directly for a content distributor like that? Well, I, 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 like you meet a lot of young filmmakers doing this sort of thing. And, and it feels like as of things stand right now today, the kind of the model or the, the route into being a, a film director for, for real feels like what you have to do is make a short or make something, stick it on YouTube, Hollywood watches it, you get a phone call, you raced over, and then you go and get attached to a $50 million movie. And that seems like, if you look at the people who have had success through digital rebel filmmaking, that's kind of the route they've gone. And I kind of feel like there's another step that's just, just over the horizon, which is that, which kind of bypasses Hollywood, where you can make a spectacle movie that looks like 50 million, 100 million, but you can make it, you know, on a team of, of you know, a few guys in their garage type thing. And, 
and then you can distribute it potentially yourself. You well, know? doesn't digital cinema change that a lot? Because now yeah. that you know, it costs at, at fifteen hundred dollars a reel to get it to a, you know, and there's four. You're, you're competing. You, know, you got to make four thousand reel. DCPs aren't cheap either. Right. That's a gnarly licensing fee. Right. Well, it's, but, and, and yeah. that's the key. It's a gnarly yeah. licensing fee. You know, so, so some, they, they make I'm sure. Sorry, oh, so this is digital, the digital cinema. You know, so if you want to get oh, the content the DCP file. No, no. When you yeah. make a file that needs to go on a server that gets played in a theater. In a theater. That has that. The unfortunate you've got to get a Do-Re-Mi box. It costs a lot correct. of money. Correct. The, the other thing as well, if you make a film for nothing, like you've done it. You've done the very thing that software yeah. like Adobe is designed for. You went and made a film. It costs nothing. It's a feature length. Great. To now get what? that in 3,000 screens, which <laughs> yeah. is the kind of money we're talking about, yeah. is, is the P&A spend on that, I don't know what it is, it's like minimum of 10 million, wow. maybe 30 million. So, so even if you made it for nothing, even if you gave it for, to, you know, for free to the studio, they still have to risk 10 to $30 million to release that movie. And so it's that bit that needs well, and changing. I think that what was unfortunate, there was this inflection point. This is like one of the opportunities lost for, I think, for independent yeah. filmmakers. When you could see that we were going to go to digital distribution, and and then you could see that the that if someone had come in and said we're going to help put all these digital things in, and we're not going to have a license, it's going to be open source or it's going to be whatever it is, it would have changed the movie industry forever. And of course, yeah. the movie industry got really, a couple people got real smart. Boeing and a couple other folks got real smart, and they put in this licensing, you know, put in licensed projectors into uh, all of these to make sure that you're still. There's gatekeepers. Still a because, because otherwise, the, the chaos is, is I've got something that is going to, uh, I'm releasing my next uh, uh, vehicle for some big artist, and I want to know what's being released that week. And as soon as it becomes, you know, not, isn't, I mean, that's the, that's the yeah. challenge, right? Do you, yeah. Now, do you, do you see a way to get into that, or do you think that it's really going to be direct to people's houses, or for an independent filmmaker? Um, I mean, if the money filtered straight back to the filmmaker, I think everyone would be very happy to go straight <laughs> to people's houses. Um, so if you can do that in a way where it can finance you to make more films, I right. think that would be great. I think it's not, we're not right there at the moment, but I think we will be. I think give it a few years and that'll be quite common maybe. Johnny, when's the uh, Digital Rebels panel? Uh, it's coming up in about an hour. It's uh, going to be about uh, 12 o'clock. Well, you guys have had your warm-up now. <laughs> you're ready? You're feeling good? All right, you're going to go out there. Johnny, thank you uh, for stopping by and I, I really appreciate your uh, bringing some great people here for great us show, to guys. hear from. Glad to have us on. Yeah, lots of fun. Uh, John, now, give me, give me the pronunciation. Loacano? Loacano. Loacano. Good Italian name. Ah, uh, Johnny Loacano. Oh, yeah, ready. He's from, <laughs> from Adobe. What's your title at Adobe? Uh, Senior Vice President of Digital Media. Oh, well, so you know a little bit about this. Johnny Loacano. Uh, Gareth Edwards, who's a filmmaker. Not The Monsters, A Monsters. Uh, what's The Monsters? No, not Monsters, Inc. Yeah. It's not the Pixar movie. No. 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 All Monsters versus Can Alien. we see it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where can we see it? Netflix, I think. All right. Amazon. Monsters. Uh, whatever, wherever you see movies, you can see it there. I want to check it out. That's great. Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. From the Bandito Brothers, Jacob Rosenberg, really nice to meet you. Thank you Good for coming you by. Guys. I appreciate it. And uh, finally, uh, Tyler Nelson, who is a mere associate editor or something. <laughs> That's an awesome but, title. But seems to know a little bit about uh, workflow and all that. It's nice to meet you all. Thank you so much Thanks for coming. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate it. We're going to get set up for uh, Mac Break Weekly as we continue uh, live from the NAB show. Do we have any anybody with us on the Mac Break Weekly? Yes. Yes, we do. Oh, good. Okay. So we're going to get those people up on stage. We're going to let these people go. And we want to thank, thank everybody for being here during our live broadcast from the National Association of Broadcasters show in Las Vegas, Nevada. We're here in the South Hall. If you're at NAB, Thanks, thank you. Really nice to see you. If you're at NAB, come by and visit us. We have a... Boy, we... 
we really outdid ourselves thanks to Roger Ambrose, our creative director, and uh, Brent Byer, our lighting guy, who made this 3D set. It's beauteous. It's just floating. Somebody said, it looks like you're floating over the... Uh, over the uh, show floor. It looks so great from like, when you're way off in the it's distance. so pretty. Well, that's, you look that's, down that's there a pretty like, good example. I mean, that yeah. really, it's really a nice shot. Someone, someone asked me, I was like, where's the twit? You know, at, at the, uh, the twit with him, they're like, where is that? And I'm like, where have you been? Yeah. How can you miss that? Yeah. 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 We're, pretty, we're pretty happy, uh, I have to say. We've got a, as they said in the chat room, Leo really has a great crew. It is absolutely true. Brent Bai on the cameras and lights. Uh, Eileen Rivera, who's producing it. Lynn Fu, who coordinated the whole production. Uh, Liz Romero and Brent, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Burke McQuinn, who drove the truck <laughs> and set it all up. There we are. There's a great shot of the whole panel. That's fantastic. Where are you getting these shots from? We have cameras everywhere now. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Running the board, uh, the uh, incredible New Tech TriCaster HD850, uh, Alex Gumpel, who is merely an intern. But I think he's earning himself a, a job uh, at this point. He's doing a, a great job. Um, I just really appreciate it. Tony Wang, our editor, who will be taking these, chopping them up into little bits and putting them out as our Twit specials. You'll be able to see all of our coverage at twit.tv slash specials. Um, How did the walk go? Walk was really fun. Lisa Bettany and I did a photo walk last night at the Bellagio Fountain. It was just so much fun. All right. Oh, two more before we do. Uh, okay, I do want to talk to Alex, actually. Yeah. Alex Grossman, nice to meet you. Wait a minute. Uh, no, no. <laughs> nice to meet you. Uh, Scott Wilkinson is I'm back. I'm back. He's back from our home theater geeks. That's uh, right. Editor-in-chief of the Ultimate AV Magazine and, uh, and a columnist for uh, Home Theater Magazine. And you brought with us, with you, Alex Grossman. No, I didn't. I, uh, oh, I did. How are you? Hey, Alex. Surprise. How's it going? Surprise. Oh, he my God. He snuck up right behind he you He did there. sneak up right behind me. Activestorage.com. Absolutely. Yeah. How are you, Leo? It's good to see you. Good to see you as we well. Were, we were just talking about storage. It's always a good what thing. Is, what is active storage? What is active storage? Well, we're a supplier of storage for media and entertainment, mainly in the production, post-production, and uh, archive for both broadcast and, and post. Yes, and, and you had some big announcements uh, we this did. week. We did, really big announcements, Tell actually. Life-changing, it's all do good. Tell. So as, as a storage company, we, we've we always been the infrastructure player for a lot of the a lot of the big companies. you do SANS. Yeah, we do SANS, that's what we do. Yeah. We're, we're the SAN people, storage area <laughs> networks. But we've, uh, we've just recently introduced a, a server that works as a metadata controller. Here's all the techie stuff, right? We, uh, well, we now control Apple did a little, a little bad little thing to us, because we use on our SAN, we use uh, one of those Nice X-Serve-1U boxes uh, that control that thing. That's our metadata controller. They stopped making those sons of guns. Yes. Not that we're bitter. Grr. But there's Please a solution. don't be bitter. Fortunately, there's Absolutely. a solution. Absolutely. So as, uh, as one door closes, another opens, and uh, we introduced something called ActiveSAN. And ActiveSAN is uh, the replacement for the X-Serve as the metadata controller and X-SANS. And XSAN has been extremely popular, so we're very happy about um, that. Naomi Pierce is a good friend, and we, we just went on the, the cruise with Naomi and Sal, and, she, and I was telling her our woes, and I was saying how sad we were. She said, well, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Naomi's good about that. Yeah, yeah, and so that's really exciting. That's good news. Yeah. Now, you're not putting OS ten on that sucker. No, actually not. Um, actually, we're Linux-based, um, and we, we use a file system called Stornext, which is completely compatible with XSAN. And we, we do our magic sauce on top of that to make it really easy uh, to deploy. So one of, one of the beauties of XSAN is that virtually anybody could get in and build a SAN for media that could scale from you know, two users to hundreds. I mean, we have our customers range from some of the largest broadcasters and post houses in, in the world, and they were all running on XSAN. And of course, as you said, Apple uh, 
discontinued the, the XServe and stopped shipping them on January 31st. For some reason, we just announced our product on January 31st. <laughs> <laughs> um, Imagine that. Well timed. Yeah, well timed indeed. But we, uh, we were actually able to, to do one, one step further. So we, we looked at it and we said, what are the things that people love about XSAN? What are the things that people wish it would do better? And we were able to take Linux under the covers, but hide it so that people in the media industry don't have to be IT pros. Mm -hmm. And we were able to take the StoreNext file system and optimize it for an XSAN network and also make it really easy. So one simple UI sits over the top, a couple minutes you set the whole thing up and to us it's actually easier than actually in installing XSAN. And it has performance enhancements over what they had with NextServe. Oh, good. So, so now the, the process is, I, I get, so I can get my head around it. The, you, someone's gonna, they're buying storage from you or they're buying their own storage? Or well, they can matter? do either. Okay. So we, we have an advantage, so if they buy storage from us, so let, let me take you back a, one second here, is that we, st we started out here because one of, the, one of the problems that people had in building media stands, especially with an Apple platform or a, a mixed platform, when you go open. So if you, if you go with someone like an Avid or a Grass Valley, you have a complete closed proprietary system to a certain extent. Um, although someone would question what proprietary means in today's world. <laughs> but what, but uh, and, and me talking about Apple as open is, is kind of funny to some people, but it really is. We're based on industry standards. So when Apple um, end of life, the XServe RAID, which is a, prom a product that I know very well, we were, able to, uh, we were able to go in there and give them a product that was very similar in look and feel with more capabilities. And so we started with storage, but our idea all along was that we wanted to make the network better. So one of the problems in an XSAN is you didn't have any visibility as to what was really going on. So you could, you could get it running easily, but you couldn't do the diagnostics. So if something happened, and let's face it, we're all in a production deadline environment, and if something happened, you wouldn't know what, what was is happening. That, what, is that red, what does that red light mean? It's exactly. We, uh, we had that problem, yeah, actually. I've had that problem. Yeah. I have two call someone, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Call you have someone. to call someone. Yeah. Right. Or that failover thing when you have two X serves and it just automatically fails over and it goes, you're on controller B, I was just on controller A. And you have no idea what happened. And, you know, it's a scary thing, right? We all want to be in control of our lives. So as we built this storage, we built a diagnostics engine into it that we call the statistics engine. So it tells you everything about the storage. But you'd have to go into the storage to actually see it. So what ActiveSAN does is it, it changes that whole whole state. We move it up to the server and we, we use that diagnostic engine or that, that state engine inside our, our storage and we gather all that information in a, in a very uh, uh, contiguous look so we can actually look at the whole network and when something goes wrong anywhere on the SAN, whether it's in the fiber channel switch or in the storage or you know, even at the client, we can tell you what's wrong and what's going to happen to your performance and whether you're going to get your job done and how you fix it. And so if you put our active SAN on top of someone else's storage, you lose some of those capabilities. Right. So now we have a view only down to there, but if you do ours end to end, and again, I, I have to admit, I'm a little bit of a uh, selfish guy that I wanted to have all of our stuff. If you do it end to end, you, you actually get a, a fantastic look. So we see it as an improvement to the XSAN network. No, absolutely, and, and so, and, 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 from, and from the install, you, how techy do you have to be? I mean, you're really, you're buying the storage, you're buying the XSAN, uh, how much setup is there to, to get it really running? Well, my rule is if an engineer can't set it up, it's perfect. So I give it to my wife, <laughs> and I go, can you set this up? And if she can, we win. It's really, literally, three minutes, you have to answer about 10 questions. We give you a list up front. Here's what you need to know. An IP address, the name of your clients, have those little license keys with you, and you're pretty much done. That's wow. awesome. Alex, it's uh, so great to meet you. Congratulations on the launch. Well, thank you very That's much. Very I exciting. really appreciate it. ActiveSand.com if people want to know more. ActiveStorage.com. ActiveStorage.com. And ActiveSand. Active yeah. Thanks, Leo. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
yeah, we spent a lot of money on a sand. And I was told after spending 20 grand, that's not enough. <laughs> no, too I, little. Uh, we got yeah. we didn't spend enough money on a sand apparently. Yeah, evidently I we we had it. We had one in house for a little while and uh and it was and we were like, yeah, this this is great. How much is it? Like $60,000. It's really expensive. So it, the reason we need one and I had to be and, convinced. And, and we didn't understand how to uh, that was I had to be convinced, but it's because we do uh live production. So we're shooting live to tape as we shoot. We're shooting live to tape. We record it out to the sand. As soon as that shows over, yeah. our editors don't have to move stuff around or sneaker net it. They can go on the sand, the same sand that we're recording to because it uses high-speed fiber channel connections, can get on there and they can edit it immediately. And so they have the, 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 the videos recorded and they can edit it all at kind of the it same time. Multiple important. people can but use it at the same time. And we, we need this kind of shared storage because we are... Uh, in the middle of productions, and you've got eight artists working you on something. Do and so I don't want eight copies of something on everybody's you machine. It. You want a single file system that people are simply grabbing the pieces, and when they're done with it, somebody else can yeah. pick it up. We used to. I mean, I used to put everything on a USB key, and we'd carry it upstairs. <laughs> but we we actually, but that's the single most expensive piece of technology in the whole Twit Cottage is a sand. I mean, it's just a, it's something you don't think about, but you really do. But it's what makes everything run. <laughs> Without it, we got nothing. And when the sand goes down, terror. Now, my question is, is there any consumer application? It's obviously too expensive for most consumers. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not really appropriate for, say, a central server to a house that's going to send media here and there and everywhere? No, although I have to say, as we get faster and faster in-home networks, it might be, there might be a time when you have iSCSI and a very fast server running, and mm -hmm. you, might, you might be very close. I mean, I have a Mac Mini that's connected to a, to a drive, so, you know, so I have, you know. The Drobo. The Drobo. Probably, so I have yeah. a Mac Mini connected to a Drobo that has that has a bunch of uh, it has all my media on it, uh -huh. and so yeah. all the TVs, iPads, iPhones in the house, all connect to well, the one. The only limiting factor there machine. is you're not putting fiber channel in. You're using gigabit Ethernet. Yeah. But right. But that's a, that's come. a NAS, well, right? That's a NAS, yeah. not right. a SAN. Not a SAN. Yeah, not a SAN. <laughs> well, the difference is those technologies starting to blend. I mean, it's exactly. just you know, it's like we say you know NASA. Na every all NASA technology comes down, and we're using it every day. Right. It's exactly the same thing. So we're seeing the technologies that we're working with today get used in the home. I mean, I, I, have, I have a wired home as well. I mean, everything is in a central storage. Sure, I, I've got a SAN in my house, but <laughs> not everybody has that. You know, we're all going to be like that. But uh, practical application is, is interesting because uh, Apple just introduced something called Thunderball. Right. And that allows you to take Thunderbolt. Your, yeah, Thunderbolt. Somebody was asking in the chat room, if you had a Mac Mini with Thunderbolt on it, could you use that as a metadata meta, controller? You really couldn't today, um, but, but it will be available at, at, at some time That's to be coming. able to do that. It's coming. Yeah. It's definitely changing. Yeah. The, the consumer side is, is blending in. I mean, as consumer equipment gets more robust, we're going to start to see that. For us, though, we look at people like, you know, you want, you want yourself on the air. You can't afford to go down. So right. everything's completely redundant. And the problem right. with Thunderbolt is there isn't redundancy. But right. for the occasional user who wants to edit or plug into a SAN, those capabilities are coming very, very soon. And, and even more important, we look at the, the blending of it. Um, we, have a, we have an app on the iPhone that you can manage your storage with. So when you look at consumers, right, cool. everybody has that iPhone app. So yeah. we have a one-to-one, -one, actually it's about a 10-to-one. 10, 10 people who are, every person who buys one of our boxes, 10 other people in the, in the company get the iPhone app. Right. And they just, they want to look at it and go, ooh, my storage is good. Green lights, life is good. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Who's next? We're going to do one more, and one then more we're going to get Mac Break Weekly uh, on the air here. Uh, for ODTS, oh, this must be one of yours, he Scott is, Wilkinson. He is one of my We're going to bring uh, Fred uh, on, uh, on the stage here and, uh, and uh, move Alex off. Thank you, Alex, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Say hi to Naomi. Naomi Pierce is uh, married to Sal Segoyan. Yes. Who is the great uh, 
the great salsa going on. The great uh, Apple script and Uber, guy Uber automation. Apple. And uh, Naomi does uh, is a publicist who I've known for years and yeah. years and years. And she she kept saying, "Wait till you hear what Active Storage is doing. It's going to be good. It's going to be." I was good. really glad we had Alex come because I was I was trying to get my head around what the it's, new. It's I was so like, complicated. Yeah. It's so complicated. I only barely know a little bit about it because I've I've had to write a be check. Schooled in it. I've had to write the. I wrote the check. That's <laughs> when you write a check for thirty grand, you pay attention to where it's going exactly. Uh, let's get uh, our microphone on for uh, Scott Wilkinson because I want to get Scott to introduce our uh, next guest from DTS. Three, four, there five, six. There I am. Yes, indeed. Um, I invited Fred Kitson uh, to join us. He's the hey um, C, uh, CTO, the uh, Chief Technical Officer of DTS. The CTO of DTS. Say that five times. Like there. <laughs> hey, Fred, welcome. Thank you, Scott. We see DTS all the time when we go to the movies. That's right. It's uh, all I know though is it's sound. Well, that's that's part of the equation. Yeah, we're trying to take sound and uh, you know help with the digital entertainment experience in general. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that I saw at CES that I found so fascinating, and they're showing it here too, is uh, a new algorithm called Neo X, which provides up to 11.1 channels of audio. Whoa! I thought seven one was just coming out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is eleven one. <laughs> the pace of technology. Is it is amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So, now what am I going to do with eleven speakers? Well, actually, what we're trying to do is uh, create the experience of uh, something that is very compelling. So, as humans, as we evolved over the years, we're pretty good at pinpointing uh, right. sound sources, particularly right. in front of us, right? So, what we're trying to do is take a normal legacy Blu-ray or five point one mix, which of course is done for a plane and generate from that automatically some of the elevation and width that gives that more immersive environment. And certainly for things like wind noise and things that are, you know, envelop you, but also pinpoint sources above you automatically. So we think we're the uh, first in the industry to provide that. Now that's, that's, all, being cre that's all being distributed, but how, how, do, how do people capture from that? So if someone wants to give, give you a, a 12 you, mics? <laughs> um, so there, there's two parts to that. The, the first is that, again, the 5.1 mix that you already have, which was not designed for 3D, we can take that and generate that height field, which gives you legitimate, almost magical, that, that height field. So if you can imagine, uh, say, a Pearl Harbor movie that you'd watched before, you watch it again, and this time there's a Japanese zero above you and things blowing up below you, that's recreated automatically in a, a half of a hemisphere. So we'll get the front half of that, which we think is the most important. This is the, this is the problem I have with calling surround sound 3D. It's not really. It's in a plane around you, so it's 360 degrees, but it's sort so of. You know something's 2D. in front, and you know something's in back. But you don't necessarily but you don't know, know something's up or below. Exactly. Right, right, right. Exactly. So this is, uh, I think, the important part of what of what this technology is doing. Right, and it, you can uh, take the second part of it, which will be our next generation, which pr produces that whole hemisphere. So you clearly are for games, interactive environments, things behind you, in front of you, etc. Now the demo includes some music actually mixed in 11.1. I mean, it, hmm. there are many more channels than that in the raw mix. I mean, there are many more well, yeah, you've instruments. Got lots yeah, of that's, instruments. That's, lots yeah. of instruments. That's part two, I guess, of the question is. Uh, so the first generation is to do the automatic part. Second generation is you put in 3D sound objects. And so that requires an editing tool change, which we have. And you can literally take a trajectory and say, you know, I would like a helicopter to do this. And then that is generated and added to that as well. Wow. Is that a capability you have now? or is Yes. It, yeah, okay. So you, you, so some of it's programmatic and some of it's real. Um, yeah, so you know, we, we base it, I guess the pedestal for all this is, uh, in our case, DTS HD. 
And that includes, uh, as you know, all the way down to a 32 kilobit uh, LBR or something they use for XM radio, you know, all the way up to lossless studio lossless. Wow. So within that equation, you can put in this metadata that will describe these 3D objects. Now, what, what kind of authoring system is creating the metadata that describes those objects? So uh, literally, we, we try to build on what people are familiar with. So we, we take our, our pro audio tool um, and take that and allow people that have made a mix in, uh, as you point out, in, in one plane, and then uh, lift that up. So the UI could be as simple as having uh, a little uh, UI that would allow you to pull the sound up, say, from the right front channel and say, I want that to go up. You could actually sort of mirror the topology of current speakers and, and, and make it so that it's intuitive. And then you can have sort of think of it in, in a volume, so you have an artist that can go and say, I want to be here and we can create that sound source wow. there. Now, is it, is it something that you're creating a spec that people would insert into their own application, or is this your application that, that produces, that, that sets this all up? Yeah, so we're using, uh, in, in our case, yes, we're using the, the delivery chain that exists now that be upward compatible or backward compatible, if you will. So any authoring tool that's creating DTS, additionally, with this metadata, can now create the, the height field. So it's, and it's, their, it's on their side to do that development. Right. You expect theaters to, I mean, they just started putting 7-1 systems in. Are they going to This put, was the next question. <laughs> yeah. Are yes. they going to be putting in a lot Oh, my God. <laughs> you mean we need four? <laughs> when does it stop? Is um, it just adding four more speakers, or is it a little more complicated than that? Um, well, I think what we're trying to do is there are those uh, applications like automotive, where right. they actually, if you go to some of the higher-end German cars and They have uh, a lot Japanese of speakers. They have a lot they're, of they're speakers. They're in the area of 22 speakers. So wow. We, so we actually have requirements to do that. And in that kind of setting, it's actually pretty easy because it's, it's fixed, it's controlled, and mm -hmm. you can cr create that for a pretty good experience for all the people. In the, now, when you go to cinema, uh, you know, different companies are creating that, so they're outfitting for that purposes. Right. If you look at the home or mobile, you then, then you say, how might, you, how might this manifest itself? <laughs> so, yeah, well, well you, maybe you sound bars or some sort of exactly. uh, digital uh, imaging capability. Exactly. I think a good way to think of how do I get from here to there would be I probably already have a 5.1 system. Right. Mm -hmm. And so making that assumption one way as well, if, what if you have one sound bar right. that is just above your big LCD? So that's the investment you made. Your LCD is typically on a wall. Right. There's typically power, right. and there might be an HDMI. So imagine just plug in power, plug in HDMI. The processing is done in the sound bar from the AVR, and that would create virtualized speakers. Right. So you would get that hemisphere experience with just one additional component. So that sound bar would essentially provide the height or the, right. the overhead right. kind of experience. And that's probably the biggest return on investment. You could also put one in the back, but really it's, it's quite compelling with just one. I was going to ask, you know, people with 5.1 or now even 7.1 systems in their home, uh, thinking about going to a true 11.1 I mean, what about the spousal acceptance factor? <laughs> or the SAF. The SAF. As the business. I, I, I guess I, I would say a, a, a night operation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honey, what's it's that black over the TV? Ops. Yeah. Nothing. I, I, I don't know where that came from. I uh, think it's a, a sprinkler system. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's funny, we do have two pictures of, and uh, it, there tends to be, uh, you know, politically correct, but a bit of a gender bias. You see one version where it's the more technology, the more lights, the more impressive, and the other one just looks like a living room with nothing in it. So there's something in between, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think this upgrade is, is pretty doable because typically it's the power and the connection, and, and you know, that would go fairly straightforward. The 11.1, again, if you already have a, a, a legitimate system, say, in the corners, uh, in that case, it'd be an additional, you know, three or four feet above that, you'd be putting in an, an, another speaker. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you might have to get out the ladder. Uh, 
but at least you'd be in the same sort of sphere as what you're already working with. What about headphones? Yeah, that's that was my next question as well. So um, you I'm know, beating you to the punch here, Scott. Yeah. You better jump on it. I know, I know. <laughs> I just got to jump right in there. Yeah, well, our agenda really is uh, we'll have some announcements. Certainly, uh, we have uh, quite a few mobile phones that we're already in, for example, and, and pads, etc. Uh, we work. Uh, there's a the announcement with Intel in terms of notebooks, similar kind of problem. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, we have sort of two versions that uh, address that. One would be something we call Envelo, which really takes like, when you put on these headphones, it sounds like sound is emanating from the basically center of your brain, which is not a normal situation. So, uh, <laughs> it Speak for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> won't, we won't go there, but uh, you'd like to be outside your head typically. Right. And uh, th that's sort of the first agenda. So that's done fairly low computational. So that, that works on pretty much all devices. We happen to have a, a second version that is more like Neo X, and you could actually take a mix down from Neo X to produce it. So Neo X can go from 2.0 up to 11.1. Wow. So, um, or, that, or backwards the other way. Yeah, so you can transcode up or down, up mix down. But in that case, it's, it's quite compelling. I give you guys a I'd love to hear it. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's definitely one of those things that you hear and you go, wow, I, you know, I want to listen neat. to everything that way. Yeah. yeah. And if you look at something like games, um, or cinema, then you, you play a little bit because you want to broaden it a little bit, widen it a little bit for a, a, a cinema type. Or c cinema, you might want to have the audio in here, maybe audio, maybe a concert, you widen it out. Mm -hmm. So those mm -hmm. are all variables. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the chat room mentioned uh, Odyssey DSX. They, someone in the chat room said they're 11.1, .1, but they're not. They're actually 9.1. Uh, um, so, so is this just two more? Uh, Ours go to 11. Yeah, there's definitely some gamesmanship in this area. <laughs> uh, uh, typically what we do is, yeah, we have four on the ceiling. So there's, um, and we find it's also equally compelling to have a, a width. So in uh, a normal configuration, if you look at, again, return on investment in terms of the, um, the sensation that's generated, we find that you would probably put, start with two on the top. Mm -hmm. uh, the next two, we'd actually would be a, a width is widen that out mm -hmm. because uh, remember speakers that are outside of the main front right and left right right but but in front of the first surround speakers exactly okay. and again uh, you know you look at humans we are asymmetrical and we uh, I think are you know again survival uh, we're, we're forward looking um, and then you would probably next upgrade would be the top back mm -hmm. Wow, I can't wait. I have, I have heard the demo. It's really I, remarkable. I can't wait. Will it be branded differently? Will it be DTS Plus or something? Or how will we know? Um, you know, we've, uh, we had Neo 6, which was uh, generally an AVR product, which is uh, pretty standard in the industry. And there was debate around that. And, um, you know, without making a, a big political statement on that, but we, we felt that we want to reserve that 3D moniker for something that was legitimate and, and really comprehensive. So we sort of compromised and just went Neo X. Okay. Uh, I think you could expect something sort of more like DTS HD on the, the full version. Very good. Very nice to meet you. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming. I'll have to go over to the booth, Fred, and, uh, and oh, listen. I I'd love to hear this. Like yeah. To yeah. Fred, Fred, Fred Kitson, Dr. Fred Kitson is uh, Executive <laughs> Vice President and CTO at well, uh, DTS. Much. Thanks so nice much for coming by. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, Thank you. We're going to get set up for, I think, are we ready to Mac break weekly now, uh, Eileen? Okay, it's we're running a little bit late because we wanted to get the, those two special yeah. guests in uh, before they had to go off and do other things. People are here very busy. We really appreciate the amount of time people are giving us. You bet. Uh, and it's fun, and thank you for bringing people by, too. We really, I'm real happy yeah, to. Yeah, it's really, really great. Um, when are we going to see you next, Scott? Uh, you're going to see me next tomorrow. I believe I'm scheduled for 10 to 11. Okay. And I've got a couple of guests coming up. Uh, there's been a little bit of shuffling going on here. Um, so uh, We've had all our appointments canceled and rescheduled. Every single one of them canceled Well, actually, most of mine have made it when they oh, said they good. were, well, so that's that good. was good. Uh, but a couple of them uh, have skipped around a little bit, so I'm, I'm doing a little bit of juggling. But uh, I hope to have somebody here from the Open Video, Open Mobile Video Coalition, 
talking about mobile video. In fact, you know him, John Taylor. I'm very interested. In fact, we got had an assignment from one of our listeners to, to cover this subject. To cover mobile video. Yeah. And so I, I've got the guy, John Fantastic. Taylor, who's a VP at um, LG. We spoke to him at CES. I John, yeah. But he's also deeply involved in ATSC, or the digital TV standard, as well as the open mobile video coalition. This will give you the ability to walk around with a specially designed cell phone or a, or a receiver or a and watch TV and watch anywhere. TV anywhere. Yeah, exactly specially right. designed for the mobile yeah. application. Yeah, I think that's exactly really right. interesting. Good. So I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing him tomorrow, and um, I forget who else we've got. A couple of other interesting guys. So uh, it'll be uh, right. more fun. Thank you, Scott.